Hello everybody and welcome back to season six of Sequelizers, also known as season one, I guess, of Prequelizers. <laughs> this is episode two and as always, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and also as always, I am joined by Mr. Matthew Stockton. You fight much harder than you fuck, Jack. <laughs> you're coming in strong there matthew i appreciate that usually you don't have the uh should we say the knack for these quotes at the beginning but that one all an illusion all mm. an illusion i'm always i'm always nailing it perfect and it's true (laughs) as well who knew and and also joining us of course is tim matem you can tell I'm evil because I have a physical disability. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Zack Snyder School of Filmmaking. <laughs> Yay. I mean, to be fair, that's the uh, that's the uh, Frank Miller School of Storytelling. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's very true. All, all women are there just as sexual objects, and people with disabilities are evil because they have disabilities. Welcome to Frank mm. Miller's outlook on the world mm. because and better watch out for the foreigns and the gays while you're at it oh god they're up to something apparently they're all evil mutant creatures who yep oh dear anyway <laughs> if you hadn't if you hadn't already guessed from the choice uh, clips chosen by matt and tim and from the title of the episode in this episode we are talking about 300 rise of an empire or as we have uh, colloquially been calling it in our group chat, 299, <laughs> which I very much enjoy. However, I mean, let's get straight into it. This is a sequel and a prequel at the same time. What the fuck is going on? It's, it's what? Who thought that it, was a good idea? It happens before, during, and after 300. It's, it's, it's a parallel. Oh, yeah. God, we're not doing parallelizers. That's too much of a hassle. Parallelizers sounds like we do something on a certain ward of a hospital or something. <laughs> I don't know what, but it, it is a very weird film because, as you say, it's not a straight prequel where it just everything happens before the film we're familiar with and it ends at that point, or, or a little bit before that point. It is literally the sense of it, it, it is disorientating obviously we should also point out this is a bad fucking film it's terrible um it's a very it's made bad for like film twice the money it's it's it, to be fair it's still made a fair amount of money but god damn it's shit <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun fact for you listeners I, I watched this literally earlier today ready for this episode and it was worse than i was expecting i'm not gonna lie. it is very fresh <laughs> in my mind right now and good lord it is a pile of crap in basically every way. And it keeps referencing the film you've already seen in the most meagre and weak fashion. And it's really... We should probably start by addressing 300, because it's a bit of a strange film in that it's very hyper-stylized, very unique, and most importantly, Warner Brothers clearly loved the absolute fuck out of it because <laughs> that's what really jettisoned <laughs> and shot... Uh, Zack Snyder's career into yeah you can helm the entire DC films mm. yeah you can do Watchmen you can, yeah, you do, can do Watchmen do it, yeah exactly mm. do whatever the fuck you want apparently oh, God. Um, and, and they gave him like a, a $300,000 Ferrari or something like that because he did so well with this film because he was on a tiny budget of I don't know what it was 50-60 million dollars or something he made 
I want to say 500 million off it. Yeah. And because that was like a huge percentage, and it's an R-rated movie, everyone, this is brilliant, this is genius, well done, you fucking, you fucking future man with your knowledge of what the kids these days want. Here, have seemingly everything, which is so bizarre. And it came out in like, was it March or April? Where yeah, a dead zone. Like, yeah. tr- traditionally, and I don't know why Hollywood has this kind of expectation, but obviously... Previously, everyone was like, "Oh, you don't release a film there. Like, it will never do. It will never do money because people don't go to the cinema in the spring." <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Who knows? yeah. I I can remember at the time there being this this buzz around it of like, "Oh, you've got to go and see this," and like, "Oh man, it's doing so well at a time when traditionally mm. the the thing that we thought might win an Oscar when it was first being produced, and then we saw it in, uh, saw the first edit and went, "This ain't winning no Oscars," and so we dump <laughs> it in March or, or April so that yeah. everybody's forgotten about it by Oscar season and uh, and nobody cares. Pretty much, and I remember seeing this at a screener before the film was released. And I was very impressed by it. And this is the key thing we have to do now. We have to do a bit of a 2006 mindset. It's 14 years ago. Obviously, Sin City had come out. Mm. And I don't... Mm, I don't remember. I don't think The Spirit had come out at this point. So we were still in this sort of heyday of like, it's all very new and it's, it's, it's fantastic new technology and it's extremely well done. And to be fair, there are some really interesting things done, especially with slow motion and things. So, for example, the very iconic scene where uh, Leonidason and the the 300 Spartans break rank, despite that being the one thing they're supposed to not do, because <laughs> it makes them really strong. And they just go, ah, and start slashing things around, and it zooms in and out in slow motion. And it's like, how did you do that? And then you see this giant box they created on a on a on a dolly, basically at three or four different focal points. So one's a close-up, one's a mid, and one's a wide, and you're pulling it along at the same time. So when you digitally sort of blend them together, it creates this immense effect. And it's like, that's actually very, very creative. That's very unique. That's genuinely commendable. And then you have the digital side of things, the very hyper-stylized realization of Frank Miller's comic look um, through the costumes and through the visuals and all various bits and pieces. And it had a very distinct feel to it. Now, having said all that, it was massively open to parody. So obviously there was tons of like, and this is the early days, I don't think YouTube was even a thing at this point, so there was lots of videos circulating and, and people making jokes about, you know, oh, they got capes and pants and abs and it's very silly and the very really saturated sort of look of it all and the sepia tones, etc. And then in 2008, so literally must have started production straight away as the film was started, there was a parody film called Meet the Spartans, which I'm pretty sure has like a two percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. I mean, the, it is the, those terrible. Those uh, that, that kind of came out of uh, Scary Movie, and then you got stuff like Epic yes, Movie yeah. and Dance Movie, and then there was the, the, mm. yeah, Meet the Spartans and stuff like that. I think the 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 right they probably knock those out in a weekend in terms of the script. Oh yeah, um, most definitely. So the production time doesn't need to be particularly long <laughs> on those. But yeah, That's very true. it's um, like and the thing is is you know we rag on Zack Snyder a fair bit uh, subtly. We haven't re- we haven't really tackled any of his films before. Like you know he he didn't direct mm, this. True. Uh, obviously he did the original though. Um, yes. But and he wrote the fucker. Yeah, um, he is a good action director. Like he is a mm. he is a capable mm. action director. Even stuff like Batman versus Superman, uh, as bad as it is, like the the Batman taking down the 
warehouse full of goons to save Martha. Like that's mm. that's a very competent action scene. Like he yeah. can direct well, and I think this he is this is probably him at his uh, probably at his best. Maybe Dawn of the Dead is is better. I was going to say Dawn of the Dead and this are examples of a director who has a lot of promise. But I think I th- I think the problem is that he get he's been handed too much power after this, you know, like and obviously it's going to make you think that you can do no wrong when Warner Brothers turns around and goes, oh, we liked your film so much, we've given you a Ferrari on top of the money that we gave you to make it, and you know the back end money that you got off of it, and you know you get to make Watchmen and you get to make this weird like fourteen year old fan fiction. <laughs> movie that you uh, that you wrote and that doesn't narrow yeah. that down with uh, that <laughs> I feel like his entire career is a 14 year old fan fiction like, yeah that's oh, sorry I should say his 14 year old OC like uh, fan fiction <laughs> there we go that's better and then go on obviously to do uh, the DC universe he's a di- he's a director who he he should be the world's best second unit director if you had him just just showing up to do action scenes and to help like choreograph and plan action like he'd be great but when he is in charge of uh the tone and the tenor uh of a movie there's a lot i dislike about 300 but most of that comes from frank miller's comic you know like the and it just happens to align seemingly with Zack snyder's view on the world but with stuff like, you know, Batman and Superman, he's obviously introducing his own takes on the character. And those are takes that I don't want. And I would like, I don't want these. Well, according to Zack Snyder, that's because you haven't read enough of the comics and you don't understand the characters well enough. Because I don't know if you heard his quotes when he did the live stream I studiously watch along avoided thing. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he made comments of like, yeah, well, you know, Superman has basically done everything in all the comics. And he started sounding like Donald Trump, like he's done all the things and he's <laughs> the very oh. best at the things, especially all the things that he has done in the history of the comics. Like, right. So therefore he can kill people with like um, oh, hmm 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 Zach, no. With any any character, people are, are allowed their own interpretations of them but uh that doesn't mean that they should also get like 300 million dollars to then make a film of their interpret anyway we're dragging i'm dragging this all the way away from 300 rise of an empire which is another bad film not directed by Zack snyder funnily enough. yeah so so snyder didn't direct it but he um co-wrote it again with this mm-hmm. the co-wrote with l1 the director they brought on who hadn't, to be fair, done very much at this point. He'd done like a weird dramedy with Ellen Page in. <laughs> yeah, and like Dennis Quaid and some shit. It's like, what the fuck? No Morrow, the director of 300 Rise of an Empire. I don't know what Empire, don't fucking ask. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody knows. I remember when this film came out, there was like an article in like BBC or something like that, or maybe there's a Guardian, and said like, they had an historian saying, I don't know what Empire they're referring to. It's like, you're not getting it. It doesn't matter, because I don't care. <laughs> they need the word rise in it, that's all. But essentially, he comes from a sort of advertising background. He's an advertising director, as much as he did this strange dramedy, as, as Tim mentioned. You can kind of tell, because I think Snyder comes... I think I might be wrong with this, but I think Snyder comes from a similar background. Because um, I know Michael Bay does, for example, which is like, shoot the face, show me the face, I want to see the face, and then show me the tits, because that's what we're selling. And it's like, okay. Um, and it's just... 
sometimes, and let's face it, if you're a music video director or or an advertising director, not that it's a bad thing because you can come up with some amazing visuals. Um, I think the guy who directed um, Bloodshot came from a similar music video sort of background. So you have really pretty, really that interesting out great. visuals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, did it? it sports, <laughs> launched a whole valiant universe. Um, but at the same time, you can come up with some really interesting concepts, but not a story or at least a thing to thread them through decently enough. So all the other stuff just feels very bland. And you've got a lot of talking heads and then some really, really amazing three minute music video stuff and then back to being bullshit again. So Snyder and Murrow have a sort of similar nature that there is there is a difference between them, obviously, which is why I think 300 Rise of Empire is significantly worse. But also the writing is is God, it's bad. It's bad. And and talk, talking of Murrow, it's it's an interesting one. He has a tie back to a previous sequelizer episode. He was originally planning to direct Die Hard Five, aka right. A Good Day to Die Hard, but mm. left that to do this film. <laughs> Fuck yeah, me. It's it's <laughs> like obviously this is not competently directed, but it's. Because it's he's doing such a Zack Snyder impression, like I haven't, mm. a, and his other film that he has made is so different to this. Like mm. I have no idea what a Die Hard film by him would look like, uh, other than probably not very good. Here's a bold statement. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I might be able to say this. I think Three Hundred Rise of an Empire is a better film than Die Hard Five, but in the sense that you know. Two different turds, one's more dried one out the other. I don't know which is worse. The question for me is which one do I hate more? And I don't know. I think I would rather watch A Good Day to Die Hard because I can mm. kind of laugh at it, whereas this is kind of. Yeah, it's boring. But this is boring and it's trying, to be, it's trying it's to be really it's, cool. It's different boring, but it's fucking weird. The, the thing I was going to say is if, if you permit me, gentlemen, I I'd like not, to read no. you a quote from Collider um, as. Well, written by, you know, said by Zack Snyder. So, because oh, it's interesting because he is talking about the future of 300 as a franchise, not just a film, as a franchise. I think this might have been from 2016, I could be wrong. And the idea that he's talking about multiple sequels and shared universes. And of course, classically, the articles will end with, and obviously nothing's happened yet because no one wants this. We've been talking about, is there a po way, possibly, we move out of ancient Greece and use it as a framing device for other conflicts that happen throughout history? First of all, Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yes, arguably. I mean, we all know that Ridley Scott tried to, well, toyed with the idea for a Gladiator 2 set in the Pentagon, so I, <laughs> I, I guess, maybe. Um, also, Assassin's Creed, I love the idea of doing different things. Oh, yeah, okay. And they'll still call it 300, of course, so they're idiots. And then he says, I think I mentioned that we talked about the Revolutionary War. And I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> what? That's the first thing you decide to go with. And then he says, yeah, we talked about the Alamo. What? And they says, and we've talked about there's a battle in, in China, a lost legion kind of concept. Any of those things are kind of on the table. I'm like, what in the Any fuck are you talking are about? On the table. What yeah. the fuck? There's so little and that that is important as a quote because it effectively speaks to the nature of, of of Snyder as a director, which I think, if I'm honest with you, Sucker Punch is the best <laughs> look Don't into dare. his mind. Oh right, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, in, in the, the set pool of crap and misogyny <laughs> and bullshit. Yes, I agree. Dawn of the Dead and 300 are his most competent and capable films, arguably, but 
Sucker Punch is his most purest Zack Snyder because it's not an adaptation, it's him writing his own thing. And he's doing tons of layering and he's doing lots of hyper-stylized stuff and he's doing music video sort of bits of music because obviously just covers of tracks. And it's like, I like cool, like, you know, robot stuff. Let's have a robot train. It's like, okay. <laughs> I like samurai. Let's have samurai guys with like this fucking minigun. Okay. I like girls. Let's have them be strippers. Okay. Anything else you want in there? Yeah, some other stuff as well. Like dragons. Like Lord of the Rings is pretty cool. Okay. Zombie, <laughs> zombie Nazis. Zombie Nazis. Uh, World War One style fucking burlesque mechs. Burlesque mechs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, it bad. Um, and Zack Snyder's the worst. But in a strange way, in the purest sense of creation from a, fr- well, I mean, not a frustrated director, but a director, someone who's writing something, I kind of semi-respect it because it is so fucking nonsense. <laughs> Having said that, it I kind don't want to see also... your version of Sucker Punch, Matt. I don't want. I don't want <laughs> no. a glimpse into your mind. I dread to think. No, but no, my version of Sucker Punch will be horrific. But <laughs> the truth is that could have, in theory, ended his career. And or sobered him up. Like, you need to fucking knuckle down, go make something like Dawn of the Dead again, make something grounded and simple. But instead, he got bigger and bigger and bigger projects because of it, which is so strange. Because I guess Sucker Punch charge... failed and flopped, right? Yeah, but that didn't matter. It didn't hold him back. It didn't that's, in, that's insane. Stop him. Everything is driven like... by money. Like I can understand, like you said, 300 did well, so mm. that totally makes sense. Watchmen did pretty well. Like, okay, fine. Mm. But... Why didn't Sucker Punch stop him in his tracks? Was there some contract? He was just like, fuck you, you owe me three more films or something like that, maybe, or something that he just grasped onto. I can picture a, a Hollywood executive being like, ah, well, it was a new it was a new IP, so those never do well, oh. so let's stick him on something. Let's I hate stick how him right on, you are, on existing. I hate how right you are. Yeah. Fuck, and that's the thing. Executives. So he's, he's an odd one, but then you got Murrow as a replacement, and... The frustration is when you replace Snyder, you end up with someone doing an impression of Snyder. And anytime you've got an actor with a distinct style, whether it's Hitchcock or Kubrick or Michael Bay or any motherfucker, if you can recognize their films because they've got an, a unique style, Terrence Malick or anybody, it's very hard to replicate it. Even if you try and identify what are the things that make a Zack Snyder film? Oh, it's just slow motion stuff. Well, everybody keeps trying that. Everybody keeps trying to have the same thing because we know this because around that time people started emulating that style and they started mm. trying to absorb it themselves yeah. but nobody managed to get up the same thing you can still identify a snyder film which is so fucking bizarre mm. and subsequently what you end up with is a situation where they've made this thing this chimera this sort of hybrid beast that tries to remind you constantly remember that 300 film you got you like that didn't you it's like, it was a while ago, because at this time of release of the film, which is 2014, and 2006 being the release, it's like, so much time has passed, I don't think anybody gave a shit about 300 anymore. It was, it wasn't, it was beyond parody, it was beyond um, pastiche and, and well, homage. We literally Stop. had a parody film called Meet the Spartans between these movies. Yeah. Like, Meet the Spartans earlier, exactly, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And <laughs> you've become well, such to... a part of pop culture and such a yeah. you know, reference point of like, oh, they painted on their abs, isn't that funny? Ugh. Became like such a huge thing for. I mean, I was 16 when 300 came out. I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I watched again a couple of years later. I was like, this is adequate. It's fine. <laughs> um, but like, it's yeah, having things like Meet the Spartan, that came out a couple of years after the original and long before the, the prequel, mm. sequel, whatever the fuck Rise of Empire this is. This thing, yeah. This thing. And it's like, 
I feel like that's every time they do like the scary movie or the date movie or the whatever the other one is, I feel like that should kill that franchise dead. And you do a Meet the Spartans, that should kill the 300 franchise. And they're like, no, 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 no. Let's wait six more years and make <laughs> another one. We, we had hell. this discussion uh, separately off air, as it were, not in part of the show, just a part of being friends about Bohemian Rhapsody. And we're, mm, we're like, yes. Bohemian Rhapsody is a um, unfortunately mediocre film. Um, uh, and Rocket Man is a really good film, but it came out afterwards, so didn't get as much respect and praise, unfortunately. It did great, so we're not going to go into that too much. But all of them, every single motherfucking biopic, especially about musicians, has to sort of acknowledge that the film Walk Hard, yeah. the Dewey Cox story exists, except most people haven't fucking seen that film. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it does literally nail everything perfectly, and it just sort of parodies it to the degree that's like, this is absurd. Now, Meet the Spartans isn't very good, so obviously it's it's it went for the most literal base level of parody. Like, ha ha ha, they're all gays! <laughs> they skip! <laughs> it's like, anything else you got on there? Nope. <laughs> One of that them is. did a fart! <laughs> yeah, exactly. The usual word. We got, we got Hercules here, Kevin Sorbo! Yeah, I see that. Anything else? Carmen Electra, she got the boobies! Uh, that, that is exactly why she's in that film. Well, well done. Um, but that's the point, it wasn't literally taking apart the nature of the absurdity of Snyder's direction and mm. Frank Miller's writing. Or even the, the visual styling of it all, except for the slow motion stuff and somebody eating like a sandwich was fucking fucking stupid. But it wasn't enough. But then because everybody else had, like, Spartans on a plane, like I think it was like College Humor or something like that, sort of like small sketch or something like that they did and it was like that's funny enough there's enough of this stuff that was in the public consciousness as it were yeah that it made this one irrelevant having said this this film still made a lot of money people still watched it even though it was pointless and also i think if i'm honest with you i wonder if lena hedy working on game of thrones pushed it a little bit because she's dropped in and out so she effectively was obviously working on Game of Thrones at the time, and I wonder if because she bookmarks the thing. She's like at the start, at the end, mm -hmm. a little bit interspersed in the centre. But really, I think it's just like, hey, hey, Cersei Lannister's in this film. Eh? It's like, yes. Yeah, it does. It raises the profile of it slightly, but it, it, it is like so many other things in this film, which is just like, hey, remember that better film? Like that's going on. Like if you if you ran down the road, you could still catch that other film. It's happening in this world. <laughs> but no, you're here with us watching the world's worst naval battles. Volume two. <laughs> so dumb and boring. It's such a weird idea of like, you know what was what we need to do with three hundred? Put it at sea. Like, <laughs> what? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, we fine. Yeah, no I worries. spent so much of this film just like silently screaming like that's not how that works like that's yep. not how grease works that's not how ships work that's not how water works like what planet have you yep. come the from the vast majority of this film is that is not how blood works as well yeah. <laughs> yeah. fuck me the amount of digital blood in this film mm. is off the charts and granted it was popularised back in the day by 300 and kind of like mm -hmm. redefined mm -hmm. the like oh, you can just do loads of crazy shit with all this digital blood and put it in 3D and stuff it'll look great 
they went it, fucking ham on this with the digital blood. <laughs> there are scenes where I can't tell what's going on because there's this big wash of red blood across the screen. And it's not like see-through or the viscosity is correct. It's just like this opaque blob that goes across the screen and it's the worst. Jam. I want an edit of this film where you replace all the spears and swords with giant paintbrushes that have been like, dipped <laughs> in red paint because then it will make the red... It will make the digital blood finally makes sense that would make a hundred times more sense i would happily see that if it was a sped up so all the slow motion scenes <laughs> at normal speed because it might be only half an hour long and also if all the faces are places by um bob ross yes then i'm okay with it happy little blood splat <laughs> so yeah 300 is was at the time a very big thing 300 now I don't think anyone really cares that much. There's no real... I think people have a nostalgia for it, and this is like, oh yeah, 300 was all right, that kind of mindset. But I don't think anyone's going to go like, you know, you don't get a lot of cosplaying people as Spartans, I don't think. No, I think people have fond memories because it is a film that has so many moments in it. Um, like, you know, and again, you know, respect for, for Zack Snyder, like... Yeah, the fucking the moment where they push them all off the cliff is awesome, and the moment where he kicks mm. the dude down the hole is memorable, and stuff like that. Mm. And so let's have him kick loads of people in the second one when he does the Spartan kick, <laughs> even though uh, the new guy is the Athenian. <laughs> so sure. Um, so those those moments stick in the mind. So I think if you most if you ask most people, I think that they're probably their opinion would stay more or less the same because they would have forgotten all the shitty parts of 300 and they would just remember they're like yeah that was that was a that was a kick-ass film but unfortunately this film has no good moments in it (laughs) it's just correct yeah it's like if you took all the iconic moments out of 300 uh and and then and this is this is what you're left with it completely sort of contradicts the it, well not contradicts but it undermines the message of the first one where like mm. there's this whole thing about like oh well you know the Greeks aren't good soldiers because they don't train for it they're just you know they're a citizen militia you know whereas the Spartans are, are tra- they're all, all they are you know the soldiers are soldiers and so they, they are that speci- again that's another moment that a lot of people think of like the yeah. oh what are your jobs oh you're a cook you're a poet you're a potter, you're a potter. Blah, yeah. blah, blah 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 Spartans what is your profession fashion and they do the oh 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 thing yeah, yeah it's like an they, iconic they, moment and then it's like now nah, they're all they're all warriors it's fine and they're like not bad for a bunch of potters am i right boys hey hey you're exactly the same as the spartans we can't tell the difference who cares you're your copy and paste well we killed all the spartans but we still want to have a movie set around that like it can't be the the force that sparta then put together because you know, it wasn't just the king's personal guard. It was, I think it is like they're, they're all on like a religious holiday, like the majority of the army, aren't they? That's why there's only yeah, 300. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can't focus on those guys because we want it set at the exact same time. And so I guess it's just going to be Greeks, but they're just going to be as good as Spartans. It, 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 it's such a kind of shrug that'll do approach to a film. Mm-hmm. Very much so. As you say, it's trying to emulate the things from the previous verse. As you say, like, uh, do you remember the thing you liked? Here's the same thing, but under a different name. Um, it is frustrating that you've got the nature of Spartans and maybe these these hardened warriors. And then you literally got David when only the hard, only the brave. <laughs> and then finally you get to 
um, a bunch of untrained people leaping off cliff edges, falling into a boat and wiping out a fucking militia, an entire army of people. It's, it's, it's absurd. Um, getting back to the, that's not how things work. Um, <laughs> it, it is quite impressive how many things it refuses to understand how things work. Now, in fairness, 300 creates its own weird, wacky fucking universe because sure. it's like, they're not really fucking elephants. What the fuck is that? And they're like, that's... What is this? It's like, yeah, and also, as like, I was <clears> watching <throat> it, Emma was like, so is there magic and stuff? I'm like, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe. No. And then the weird panther monster shows up. I'm like, well, there's that. I don't know what that's supposed to be. And also, oh, there's sort of like or- oracle, mad, magical, religious ceremonies that imply actual magic, but mm. I and don't know. Rodrigo also, the laws Santoro, of physics don't matter. Rodrigo Santoro oh, yeah. takes a god bath, uh, and he comes out <laughs> of the tour. And emerges a god with a completely different yeah. voice, and yep. Yeah, and that's kind of the point. It's it's it does exist in some ridiculous comic sort of uh, fantastical cartoon universe. And it, with that in mind, you can say like, and you know what? A horse can jump from a boat, fall in the water, jump out of the water into another boat. It's like, <laughs> no, it can't. I mean, I know there's Greek mythology on Pegasus and shit, but no. Have you seen a horse swimming? It looks like it's barely making it. <laughs> this is the kind of the problem that I had with like the fucking Clive Owen King Arthur. Uh, and all those films that were the, uh, around that time when like Gladiator yes. had hit big and stuff like that and they were like we're going to tell you the real we've st- we've stripped out all of that dragon and wizard nonsense that you hate because <laughs> we assume you hate it and it turns out Despite a few Lord years of the later, an Oscar. actually it's really popular with yeah, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones <laughs> whatever, we've stripped all that out and now you're getting the real story and it's like I like the wizards and shit. Like, if you're gonna t- if you're gonna tell a myth, <laughs> a mythic story in ancient Greece, like people like there's a reason fucking Xena Warrior Princess ran for so long. Like people like yeah. you know the tales of the gods and you know hydras and shit showing up. Like I don't yeah, know why you did would, that, didn't it? I don't know why did you the would, Iliad with no yeah. religion. I don't know why you tie one hand behind your back by being like no. The, the only monsters are gonna be kind of like. Like, if you took a rhino and then, like, strapped a load of shit to it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the thing of where it rides that line, and both of the films do this, but I feel like Rise of Empire is particularly egregious in the sense that it's it's trying to do the grim, dark Zack Snyder, everything's hyper-realistic, but also hyper-stylized thing. And then it's like, and fuck physics. but, But you were just having, like, very crunchy physics driven combat like 10 seconds ago and he's they're obsessed this fucking slow motion thing and i know it's a huge trope of snyder's but the slow motion until it hits something then it's fast motion to make it feel like it's impactful drives me up the fucking wall (laughs) wwe have started doing that in their replays and it's annoying as fuck and it just especially wrestling slow motion shows you how it all works and you yeah. just see people actually not punching each other and stuff yeah, like why fakery, are you doing yeah. this but i feel it does that in the films as well i'm like okay so that slices slow motion until it hits his leg and then it goes in like super fast motion and then slow motion again because all the blood splurts mm. out and like do we need to have this constant shift backwards and forwards backwards and forwards backwards and forwards oh it just drives me insane and really like disorients me in the combat as well of like there's that the iconic scene when they're like running across the beach in the first one and he leonidas is chopping off legs and running with his shield and spear and you know it's the big like Mm -hmm. charge of the spartan the initial charge and 
this film tries to do that like twice and neither of them are even I, I'm, I'm not even able to follow what's going on because it's so yeah. from the, it does have the tone of the sepia tone of the first one with this like golden sunlight weird filter thing they love to do and then the rest of it is this like pitch midnight blue filter thing they have where like, oh, if you're so inside ugly. everything's blue and weird and no yeah. color exists it's like oh fuck you Zack Snyder this is this is the this is leading up to the whole you know Superman suit is muted blue and muted red thing you can't possibly have real colors because girl we need gritty filters and realism and all that bullshit and it's like oh, you can't have gritty realism and insane hyper stylized stuff happening within seconds of each other if you're going to do that you need to tie it together narratively or build a world where that makes sense you have done neither of those things go fuck yourself yeah they that that whole the, the conflict between stylization and realism i know it, it quotation marks about realism like (laughs) is kind of the grimdark bullshit yeah it's it's less realism or grimdark bullshit yeah it's kind of at the core of some of this movie's flaw it's the thing of like oh it wouldn't be realistic to show a single woman who doesn't like experience sexualized violence in a film because that's what it's like back in those days wasn't it everyone was raping everyone um (laughs) it's like well to start with no it wasn't but also like you've also just shown a horse leap out of water like (laughs) like are you are you really gonna like that's that's the that's the point where you go like uh, no it's fine for the like the horse to leap out of water and it's fine for that we've got like monster rhinos and all this bullshit but like i draw the line at like a woman not getting raped like that's <laughs> that's where stylization and you know a sense of uh imagination exactly yeah. that's where if it runs realism, out if the realism doesn't reinforce the whole dude bro code thing i'm like what yeah. no women don't have any sort of say in any of all this and like and then lena Headey's there and you're like well, she does. She's the closest thing to an interesting character in this whole fucking movie, and that's because <laughs> she's just a continuation from the first one, and she was quite good in the first one. And you're like, really? Is this really where we're going? Where Eva Green? They, they. I mean, we're going to talk about it, and we've already touched on it. Like, they just have sex for no reason. It's because they needed a sex scene, and and fucking I, sex I guess scene. Eva man. Green has a contractual nudity thing in her agreement every time she does a film because reasons and they were like I, right i think yes, the reasons okay, are perfect. she looks like eva fucking green <laughs> <laughs> but, i would if i was eva green christ <laughs> but like it's uh, it is just films for dude bros made by dude bros and it just annoys the shit out of me this is like fucking incel fuel bullshit that is just this like oh we're all so muscular and so manly and we can take what we want including the women and oh fuck you it, it, it's really it's really difficult I have a very brief anecdote for when I reviewed the film uh, in 2014 and I was watching the movie and thinking this is a fucking headache and <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty sure I saw it in 3D and it made it worse and they get to the point where it's like I'm gonna go parlay with them and go talk on a boat why? why? that's that's stupid Themistocles. Um, yeah, great. And then he gets on the boat and he, I, I don't think he's unarmed. I think he's unarmed. And um, he arrives and the, she doesn't kill him at all. She decides to have sex with him. And it's like, join me. Oh, and they have this really egregiously long sex scenes. Now, here's the thing as a critic and a filmmaker, I fucking hate sex scenes agree i 
find them pointless because okay the purest filmmaker in me is like this is fake this is bullshit which is stupid because obviously every fight scene is fake and bullshit so you know you can you can create whatever you like what about the realism but, matt <laughs> yeah but it's like what are we saying here we're showing that they fucking love each other right what are you saying here that she's a strong woman who takes what she wants right and what is that penis <laughs> his dick his, his, his athenian <laughs> penis right and what is he proving here that he's also a level playing field, you know? No, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is happening. Yeah, and he bends her over and he's like ramming her and then he's like, she's, he's like choking her out. And it's like, yeah. What, am, what are we doing here? Why doesn't she just kill him? He's the general of the other army. And then in the cinema at the time, I was like, this is fucking stupid. And the teenage boys in front of me watching were getting really into it. And they're oh, obviously no. just in. And this is like 2014. And incel wasn't a term at this point, but you know, didn't well. um, and they're really into the whole like, oh look at those rippling muscles. And it's like, yes, they're very hench for some reason, despite being I'm a potter. Um, but um, then it's uh, it as a sort of getting towards climax, he you know, Themistocles grabs her by the throat, and she's into it, and it's fine, whatever, consenting adults, I guess. But at the same time, the kid in front of me shouted and I, I, I stress this in my review actually shouted yeah choke the bitch Jesus and I'm like, Christ what the fuck man first that's of all the, I'm watching a the film audience, that kid is now tweeting hashtag release the Snyder Cut that's all I'm saying easily that's the easily. same fucking audience of incel dude bros that support this bullshit yeah I mean it's it's also let's face it if you're really into something and you're like, I oh, know I really am enjoying this and I don't give a fuck, it's the same thing as, as let's say, Jack Chambers saying, fuck yes, to when um, Mjolnir comes to cap, as it were. <laughs> it's just <laughs> something you really... That's I've said something out loud in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. pumped and said, fuck yes. And the only time this guy has ever said something was, yeah, choke the bitch. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, just, I don't know if I'm biased, but I would pick my one personally for, you know... Yeah. For a sense of dignity and self-respect over the other guy's choice. Of- really? A captain who dresses as a flag with a hammer or a person having sex, Jack, come on. No, no. Um, but that's kind of the point. It's, it is the idea of that you create this culture and I'm not being like an overly prudish fucking, you know, we shouldn't have these things. Just do them fucking well. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, for example, the really cheesy fucking 1980s music video softcore porn in Terminator, for example, is to <laughs> highlight that Sarah Connor is now pregnant. You're like, uh, okay, yeah, right. And that she has a connection with, you know, um, Michael Bean's character. That's fine. Here it's, I don't know what the establishment is. They're like, oh, we can probably do a sex scene. Eva Green will say, yeah, it's all right. This guy probably won't show his dick, so we won't show that, but it'll be fine. It's like, okay. Um, and then he goes back and uh, as we pointed out earlier before recording he's out of breath it's like oh, she's going to be really pissed off now and bring her with her why? because I said no midway through fucking her right did you finish? did she finish? no very unsatisfactory <laughs> great well I'm glad we spent six minutes on this whatever the fuck it's been so far it is ultimately a really pointless divergence but then if you think about it it's not a divergence. Everything in this film is like that. Yep. And then something else cool happens. And then you know it's marked very clearly because Themistocles will give a speech. Um, <laughs> a rousing speech. Um, We're at a new point. I'm going to give you a speech that's really poorly written. He does nothing but speeches. It's Themistocles does like 
three or four different speeches and it's variants of like he literally does a like because of our freedom kind of speech and I'm like free Greece he's straight up doing Braveheart right now this is some <laughs> bullshit and he, I think he, he's more doing freedom fries than he is in fucking well, Braveheart yeah, yeah like he just bastardizes all these different things like oh he kind of sounds like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings for oh, a yeah, couple of lines yeah, and yeah. then oh he sounds like you know, sounds like um, Maximus from Gladiator for a couple of lines, and then he's uh, insert f- fantasy slash historical fiction drama character here, and he kind of just emulates all of those. And something we haven't really talked about yet, but fuck me, Sullivan Stapleton is a boring, bland, milquetoast piece <laughs> of shit that I don't give a shit about. He is a charisma vacuum. He really is. Like, he makes... Like, uh, he makes uh, fucking, like... Uh, Oh God! What's you about uh, to say? What I think you're about to say? What's Avatar, dude? Sam, Sam Worthington. Sam Worthington. He I makes... was going to say the same thing. <laughs> That's, uh, when uh, we were watching uh, it, I was like, yeah. "He's like a budget Sam Worthington," and I fucking hate Sam yeah. Worthington. <laughs> he makes Sam Worthington look like Oscar Wilde. Like, oh, oh my God, he's just the, the worst. And like, there was a moment where he's talking. I'm like. I've never seen this dude before in my life. I've never seen him since. Never heard the name because he disappeared off the face of the planet because, of course, he did. He's now doing TV <laughs> and stuff. I was like, hold on. This guy's Australian, isn't he? Because he's suddenly going, Let, <laughs> let's free Greece. And I'm like, you sound like Russell Crowe trying to do a British accent every time Russell Crowe has ever tried to do a British accent. And I, looked, I, and I just looked down at my phone. It's like... Sullivan Stapleton is a Australian actor. I was like, you mother... Why are they always Aussie? What is with this historical drama blokes being Kiwis and Aussies and stuff? And then fucking David Wenham shows up from the first one. You're like, ah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Faramir's back again. Like, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's this consistent thing of, like, bad accents and bad acting and bland white dudes just hanging out and being bros. It's like, oh, God, it's the worst. It was pretty bad in the first film, but, like... Especially in this film, every every actor is like, a, a, apart from you know Eva Green and uh, Lena Headey, every actor's basically dressed the same, and they all look like if you stick yeah. in like Call of Duty and go to customize your character, the thing that you're starting out with is every <laughs> actor in yes. Three Hundred Rise of Brilliant. an Empire. So like, Brilliant. oh, I, I suppose you have uh, you have Jack O'Connell. Who yes. is, he is a good actor. He he's, is he's a good the actor. Only other actor that stood out. Yes, yeah. because but he's young. This, he's like ten years younger than everybody else in this kid. film. Yeah. The boy, the kid, yeah. the boy, 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 kid, boy. Yeah, it's got a real uh, fucking Kratos. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. Come here, boy. Um, the, the thing is, well, about three hundred is the, the first one. Is that when you go back, you go, holy shit! There are some big names in this. Snuck away quietly in there. You know, everyone forgets that Michael Fassbender is in the movie. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, Does and he gives random the, dude in the background Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Like, really? He gives the iconic line that we should fight in the shade. It's like, oh, there he is. It's Fassbender. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Weird. Um, whereas in this one, you get a lot of misunderstanding of the first one, obviously, but also misunderstanding of the story and just random actors to get to do it. I'm not saying that um, the nature of... You need... A, you know, you definitely need a known actor who's like going to say it, but Stapleton's just a strange choice when... I mean, let's face it, the big name of this movie is Eva Green. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. She is. She's the opponent and she is, at the end of the day, the major star of this movie. And having an unknown isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing in the fucking slightest. But it is still a strange move for a film 
so many years after this, the first film, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you come back to the people to remind you, oh, by the way, um, David Wenham's here and Rodrigo Santoro here. And, uh, oh, and by the way, Lena Headey's here as well. It's like, cool, cool. Are they doing anything? Nope, no, not really. They're off in the other film that's happening at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we undermine them by having Eva Green saying, you're shit, ah, to Rodrigo Santoro over time. Like, you're a boy and I gave you your empire. It's like, well, that cuts the legs out of that fucking character. Then you go to, like, David Wenham saying, hello, I have an eye and another eye. And then he comes back and, I've only got one eye now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Remember how I lost my eye in the other film that you'd rather be watching right now? Well, <laughs> tough shit. I'm here now. And despite the fact you already saw this bit at the end of the other movie, we're going to do that bit again in this movie, but worse. Because it's also a sequel. Fuck you. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. <laughs> you also then have Effie Altes, um, the hunchback, coming back to basically do the exact same thing again. Reasons. I have a question about Effie Altes. Go for it. I didn't rewatch 300 for this because I'd seen 300 a bunch of times when I was younger. Sure. Did he always have a weird CGI eye? Because I feel like his eye was particularly weird and egregious in this one. <laughs> I, I, if what I remember, it's all practical from the first one, and it just looks really uncomfortable for him to kind of like waddle around. Yeah. But his face is all like obviously all lumped up and mutated and stuff. Mm. But I feel like his eye was like wobbling, like they hadn't sorted out the green screen or blue screen, <laughs> whatever they're using properly, because. Let's talk about the fucking green screening and blue screening for a bit, because fuck me. The lighting on any of the characters is not matched up with any of the lighting that's happening in the background for about 70 to 80% of the shots. There are a couple of them where they're actually in physical places, and they're like, oh, thank God, this is a set. <laughs> Funnily enough, the sex scene is in an actual set. So it's like, okay, that's fine. Set, you can there, tell. There's yeah. an actual table and a wall there because he's choking her against it. <laughs> there has to be a physical thing. Slam! Whereas the rest of it is just like, there's nothing. None of these ships exist. The sea doesn't exist. Those cliffs don't exist. This beach doesn't exist. None of this is here. We're in fucking, speaking of prequelizers, we're in Star Wars prequel territory here where it's just mm, like mm. three dudes just wandering around a big green blob and then there's just like, there's a cliff there. Pretend there's a cliff there. Okay. Well, the, the sun's coming from the other direction, but we'll light you just randomly and it'll be fine. <laughs> and then we'll just chuck a CB turn over. Nobody will notice. Like, I think people will notice because it looks fucking terrible. And yeah. there's even like out, you can see like the hazy outline. So if you don't green screen somebody properly or if there are like complications or whatever, you get this kind of like blurry hazy outline around especially finer details around their hair and stuff like that yeah and that happens all the fucking time in this movie <laughs> i don't know if it's because i was watching it on dvd rather than blu-ray that it was just a mm. bit lower resolution <laughs> but it looked blurry and weird at times I'm like how have you not sorted out the green screen it's the entire fucking film you should have this down by now i wonder if the 3d is to blame for that the idea that um, like when Clash of the Titans and shit like that came out, and it was a disaster in the cinema because speaking of Sam um, Wellington, exactly, um, because they had uh, done 3D in post, it then wasn't shot in 3D. So what you end up with is the separation and trees and hair moving on their own. You're like what the fuck is it? It's hard to describe because you can't really replicate it with things like YouTube and stuff. You had to be there to watch it, and I was, and my god, it made you sick. But <laughs> I think it's the nature of like, oh my god, this looks crap, and you just have the halo effect around people when they've got the, the sort of fuzzy aura, and you're like. Yeah, but in 3D, it's all fucking fuzzy anyway. Who cares? That almost dismissive mindset. Now, that's obviously a very reductive way of looking at it. There might be something entirely different. Rush deadlines. Who the fuck knows? But for the amount of money they were 
funneling into this movie, it's kind of not good enough, and, and it looks worse than the the one that came before it. The thing that really surprised me, a strange little tangent here, is Lena Headey's character seems to be reinvented. So, in the first film, she's like, Spartan women are badass because they're the only people who can punch out a Spartan from their mighty wombs. They can't fight. They're not like Viking shield maidens. They're not. That's not what they're there for. And I, I'm obviously yes, anachronistic or not. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? It's We're more powerful this in is, our own way, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of the point. And she she uses her own. She's very smart as well. She um, reveals like to, uh, Dominic West's character, for example being this cowardly politician wanker and she does things she needs to protect the country because the mother of Sparta is the mother of the nation that, that kind of thing and I'm like yeah I, I, I see where you're going with this this makes sort of sense and then the film that follows it forgets all that shit and then she's like badass here's my armour I'm going to lead a boat charge and like uh, well, okay. she goes in wearing a dress and doesn't take a shield with her because I guess women don't fight with shields <laughs> she just runs in with a little sword and like, okay yeah fair enough while it's Eva like, Green's hanging out with her fucking giant bone spine suit <laughs> thing that she has she just le- levels up to like a Mortal Kombat boss at the end for some reason like, yeah. it's weird it is and, and also that she keeps talking about the idea of a free Greece and how she's given up so much for a free have I not given enough for your free Greece Themistocles as if he's an important character except he most definitely isn't because he would have been in the fucking first one if he was and you're like well they don't care about a free Greece because the whole thing is that I mean we're not going to talk about actual history just yet um, but the idea that Sparta was its own country it didn't give a fuck about anyone else it didn't like Athens, they've been fighting for a long goddamn time beforehand. Constant warring back and forth, and constant warring afterwards as well, because you know, proximity nations is what you do all the time. But at the same time, there seems to be this idea that Themistocles is desperate to be a king who has this, you know, united Greece and a free Greece and all that shit, and like, well, freedoms and all that bollocks. You're like, that's not really what the film was kind of about. I mean, the, the the simplicity of 300 was Jared Butler was fucking charming and was like, um, if you, uh, Spartan, just kneel before me. And it's like, um, and then he says like, oh, kneeling, well, that's going to be a problem because my knees are a bit fucked and oh, and he's like, you know, he's a bit of a cocky wanker. And it's like, <laughs> I get it. It's, you know, he just literally is, it's a foreign invader, it's a foreign aggressor I mean, and he's stopping the, at the shore. He has charisma, whereas Themistocles does not whatsoever. That's, that's correct, the big correct, difference. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Gorgo or Gorgio, I can't remember how to pronounce it, is kind of reinvented to fit the plot as somebody who is, at the same time, her hands are completely tied and she's useless, but also a complete deus ex machina. It's fucking irritating. Yeah, it weirdly feels like a film that came out in 2003 and was super pro War on Terror. Like there's so oh, yeah. much of this like Frank we're, we're the we're the United Democratic countries and we're gonna beat back those weird brown countries. And it's like no, like like historically like this whole area like yes, there was democracy in Greece if you were a land owning uh, man. Um <laughs> but like a day there was also slavery and like this whole area was just like a mess and all the cultures fed into each other. And yes, there was conquering and stuff, but like you are not. They they would not have seen the Persians as especially 
other i don't think in the same way that this mm. film codes them super mm. like and 300 mm-hmm. does as well like they would have just been like you are our neighbors who are invading us because that's what neighbors do like yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny you should this, mention this... the slavery thing because emma pointed it out like so she was she was playing funnily enough assassin's creed odyssey on one tv as i was watching 300 rise of an empire on another tv mm-hmm. and she would kind of glance over and just catch little moments and every time she would look over there would be somebody whipping a slave and then rowing <laughs> the boat and she was just like is half of this film just men rowing boats whilst getting whipped and i was like yes yes it is i mean <laughs> a strong 20 percent is yeah there's like a dozen different shots of just gratuitous slave whipping and boat rowing. It's so weird. Like, have one of those. Then we know how the boats work because these are the bad <laughs> guys, I guess. Oh, no, wait. We need to reinforce it every single time because these are the bad guys who have the slaves. But as Tim correctly said, so did everyone else back then. Mm. None of it fucking matters. Uh, and they have they have to have the, the people rowing because then at certain points the boats just start going backwards as fast as they were going forwards and basically on a dime. <laughs> and they also yes. crash into invisible cliffs for no yeah. reason. Oh, <laughs> fucking painful. Oh, God. So I appreciate you going to these films and you don't think I'm going to watch a historical drama that is a documentary. Fair enough. It's pure fantasy. That is fine. But then also you see like the circle of boats, the three concentric circles. And you're like, the fuck is this? <laughs> Have you ever, ever been on the sea, sir? No, <laughs> because not. how the fuck would you arrange that? Like, Yeah. Get a boat to be still. Go. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's when the, like, when, when the trailer for Troy came out, for example, and um, it had the sprawling, they tried to show you know, the, the, thousand ships basically trying to make it actual looking you know a realistic depiction as it were it's like yep they're all fucked that's not how <laughs> that's not how sailing works and it's fine because it is again fantasy but disguised as reality whereas in this one in particular it is so nonsensical but it's also unfollowable so it's it's a mess it's a goddamn it mess it is if of course you do want to learn about ancient greece or indeed any ancient part of the world you could listen to a podcast about it. There are Ooh. plenty of them, and they're all really, really goddamn good. But most importantly, you know where you should listen to that to? On a boat while being whipped. But if you can't get that, <laughs> if you can't afford that experience, don't worry. We've got you covered with Stitcher Premium. Um, you can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium, uh, such as various historical things. I'd say they're literally countless things it's one of those veins you can mine into very quickly um you also get uh, access to stitcher originals bonus episodes comedy albums and all those sorts of things there are two sort of pay structures one is four dollars 99 per month and one is 34 dollars 99 per year or per annum because we're being all antiquated and shit what you need to do to get this is to go to stitcher pre- sorry stitcher.com slash premium to sign up for this and you can use our promo code Sequelizers, S E Q U E L I S E R S. It still sequelizes, even though we're prequelizers. Don't worry. <laughs> Most don't, don't put prequelizers in. You'll just confuse everybody and no yep. one will get any benefits. But yes, uh, so you can get a month free on us, which let's face it, with everything that's going on at the minute, it's kind of helpful. So if you want to, please by all means do that. And uh, with that, let's get back to the Aegean. Let's get back to the sea. Equalizing. Prequelizing. It doesn't work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, before we get to fixing this hot pile of shit, should we turn our 
turn our eyes and ears to our good pals over at Rotten Tomatoes and try and work out, and then and this is for Matt and Tim listeners, who, what, where, why, what the ratings are. And of course, I like to do a little, you know, a bit of a franchise or whatever. There's only two movies in this franchise. So what do you think the rating is for 300? And what do you think the rating is for 300 Rise of an Empire? Any guesses, gentlemen? And also, I, w- I will say this to you now. We will be talking about audience score as well, because it is oh. interesting. I and was we- going to say, it could be very interesting, because I don't know... I mean, it's very critically divisive uh, on these sorts of things, on both of them. And audience mm. score will give us a lot, I think. Okay, um, should we do 300, Tim? Back and forth? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say around... 70% critical for 300. Okay. And probably like a 94 audience score or 9.4, whatever whatever that. It's still percentage. Is, yeah. yeah, still percentage. I'm not going to lie. I would have said almost exactly the same thing. Shit. Okay, let's be bold. I'm going to say the critics went higher. Fuck it. And I'll say it was 81. Okay. And I'll say that the public were equally as, as high as it were because <laughs> that works on many levels. But not that high. So let's say 81 and 89, please. So for 300, before we get to Rise of an Empire, Tim, you are closer with the critic score. It was a critic score of 60%. Oh, whoa, whoa. I'm very Which I think says a lot because it is one, like you said, it's one of those things where it's like, this is clearly not an Oscar winning film, Mm. but it's harmless fun. But a lot of people do not like harmless fun. (laughs) I think that, that kind of, especially film critics who are often looking for a bit more when they go and see a film substance. Kind of I, I yeah, would have thought substance. The, the stylistic nature of it would have got more critics on board mm. with it but, like uh, me that's that's why I gave it a good review because it was like this is actually quite an impressive technical feat the acting is fine the story is dumb but as an adaptation of a comic it's pretty good so yeah audience score however Matt you absolutely nailed it at 89% oh shit really yeah, <laughs> yeah. so oh. 60% and 89% and that's why I brought it up because I think that says more about the first film than comparing it to the prequel slash sequel, mm, Rise of Empire. Um, and I'll give you a clue that for Rise of Empire, they're more aligned with each other. <laughs> There's not quite a nearly 30% you know, um, difference mm. between audience and critics. But any guesses for 300 Rise of an Empire? Matt, you go first this time. Okay. I would say critics are going to be still semi-forgiving because it's the same thing. <laughs> so I'm going to say 45. Okay. And I think the public could be more annoyed and a bit for, just, just kind of blasé to the whole thing and, and a bit ambivalent. So let's say 55. Now, interestingly, if, if you had not given us hints there, uh, Jack, I probably would have guessed that the audience rating was still quite high because people would just go like yeah that, it's more of 300 and i that's saw that's exactly what i thought as well uh, uh, yeah. but um okay uh, i uh, yeah i think i think we're looking at 30 percent critics and yeah. let's say let's say 50 audience you're both pretty close uh mm. the critics is 45 percent the audience score is 51%. I'll take that. 
Nice. Yeah. So it's an interesting mix. And I, I also love it's something we've never really read out before. Remember when I used to do like um, the synopsis of a film back in the day and all that mm. kind of stuff? And, yes, yes. Um, the little synopses on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics' consensus synopses for both of these films are perfect. And I'll just read <laughs> them quickly for you. For the original 300, we have. A simple-minded but visually exciting experience full of blood, violence, and ready-made movie quotes. Yeah. That does sound accurate as a descriptor. Fair enough, yeah. And the critics' consensus quote for Rise of an Empire is, It's bound to hit some viewers as an empty exercise in stylish gore, and despite a gonzo-starring performance from Eva Green, 300 Rise of an Empire is a step down from its predecessor. Also yep. factual. Yeah. I wouldn't have described her performance as Gonzo though. She's Despite not doing a Gonzo starring performance. She's like, not doing what? anything like weird. She's she's basically just being Eva Green. She got choked out. <laughs> but you're right. That's just Eva Green being Eva Green. If you watch any of her films, it's like, oh yeah, Eva Green having a good time. She's brooding, wearing black, and gets naked. Raspy. Oh, it's Eva Green. Yeah, raspy voice. Hello. And she, but maybe she, people saw her only in. Casino Royale and went, oh, mm, she was Vesper. Maybe. And it's like, oh, now she's this crazy dominatrix of the sea. It's like, no. <laughs> dominatrix of the sea. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, we found um, out Matt's uh, new subtitle for his uh, prequel. After Matt's new kink. Um, I mean, that too. So I think it's very interesting. So sometimes we do have this thing on the sequelizers where we say, when are you releasing this film? Oh, I'm going to release it uh, two years later. The normal standard fare. And I'm like, fair enough. When are you releasing this film? I'm going to release it 20 years later. Ooh, interesting. And there are times when you think, yeah, perfect. This would work entirely. Best one ever. And to other times you think, no, that's, that's really, the public aren't going to be there for it. Um, not to, I, I can't shit on people who aren't here to defend themselves. I shit them already in the time of the past. My, my favourite one is when we did Poseidon, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure episode and Tim and I are sitting there quietly making eyes at each other as Stuart and Alec are doing their pitch and, they think, and we said, 1997, right? That's when you're doing your boat film. Yeah. Good time for a boat film? Yeah, we think the public are there for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they were. It's called Titanic. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and Alex went, yeah, well, uh, uh, okay, fair enough. Um, because it is fine. It's, it's just you forget these things because obviously we're doing the thing. It's the nature of how it is. But... Sometimes the public just can't handle that shit. And this distance, although it's not long between 2006 when Return comes out and 2014 when the sequel comes out, we're talking about eight years, basically. It's too long. You, you missed your window. In the same way that something we're definitely going to come back to in other future seasons, fucking the sequel to Sin City. You left it too oh, goddamn long. Yeah. If you'd released Speaking it three or four years later. Yeah, yeah, good. Actually, yeah, completely forgot she's in that. Yeah, Dame to kill for. Um, if you leave it too long, the public will kind of even even the most ardent fan base either grows up, changes, or whatever. It, it's it's it cheapens and weakens it. Sometimes it can be really strengthened by it, but not always. And especially for these things that three hundred and and Sin City, uh, weirdly, both Frank Miller comics, like they're not like. Batman, where that is a thing that exists in pop culture, and there's there's always comics coming out of it. There's cartoons, there's toys. There's so it, it is always going to be bubbling under. So there's always a level, you know, even something like yes. Star Wars that went away for twenty five years. Was gonna be the example I was going to use, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. But it, you've but got it, all the other stuff carrying on in the absence of the films and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. But this, when when there's no three hundred movie, you've got like the closest you've got to, to keeping it in pop culture is uh, Meet the Spartans. Meet the Spartans. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and 
you know, especially in the age of the internet, jokes cycle so quickly and, and, and memes and stuff like that. So people are only going to be yelling, this is Sparta for, you know, maybe a year mm. at the best. Uh, you know, apart I remember from... there was a techno remix song. That was a great remix. This I'm still noticed on Spotify. That, that, that was about it. As close to like a lot of people kicking people into things. Yeah. And like that being cut into like, oh, people fell down a hole in a on like CCTV and you get a little Leonidas kick like yeah. badly photoshopped into it Damn. and then it disappeared from the public consciousness do you want to know what marks the end of a of a joke like a movie reference joke being Ooh. culturally relevant it's when the Oscar host makes it like that the, is oh, the next yes. year <laughs> and then yeah. everyone, everyone seems to kind of simultaneously go yeah we're done with that reference now yeah, <laughs> we all stopped talking about cats very quickly. So once James Corden and Rebel Wilson came out and their stupid little joke, everyone said, "Don't piss on fucking VFX artists, you assholes." <laughs> it's not their fault. Your film. You is didn't trash. even watch. Yeah, you didn't even watch the film. You ass shit. But um, just just talking about the Leonidas kick and the spy. That, that I think that's still got a place. People still say the spy. I think there's still that remnant, as it mm. were. But I just remembered that in Three Hundred Rise of Empire, the guy who got kicked into the hole was given a whole backstory of importance <laughs> and significance. Oh, yeah, he's like, the messenger, yeah, yeah. 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 I thought, he's oh, all, yeah. He's, got, like, getting Him. beaten up in the background and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So we should uh, we should probably fix this this uh, terrible film. Well... As best we can. We should. More specifically, you should, Matt, because it's your turn. Jack, I'm just I'm springing on you right now. <laughs> write it right now. Jack, I did it. I didn't. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't write anything down. I'm just going to ad lib it. It'd be fine because that seems to be how these things are made. <laughs> on a You'd napkin in an elevator. More sense. So I had to really fucking. Sp- I had to pin myself down quite a lot. Now we mentioned before in the Prometheus episode about how the writing on this series is going to be really, really, really challenging for us because. Nothing is more frustrating than knowing the end of a story. You're like, get to the fucking punchline. I know where you're going with this. It's like, yeah, but I've got to keep going for a while. Oh, fuck's sake. Fine, go on. Or making us engage or surprising us or whatever it's going to be. So a prequel is a very, very difficult thing for us to write. It's especially difficult for me because I like history. And so I was researching and reminding myself of the history of that time. I mentioned, like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example. Um, and I was on the exact same time period, in fact, after these events. But still, it's the the general aesthetic and feel it's like oh no i got lots of inspirations and i've seen lots of films and read lots of books of the period i get it we can do lots of cool things with this except i kind of still wanted to make a 300 movie and to do that i mean you have to you have to piss on the history you have to almost take you have to almost be walking past a conversation where someone talks about history and go, brilliant, I've got everything I need, let's fucking go. Um, <laughs> you have to see someone tweet a fact about history and then use that as the basis yes. for your movie. Yes. Well, it's basically become contemporary politics and conspiracy theories. Just like, got my, I've got enough, I've got enough, I'm good to go. It's like, do you have anything to check that? Shut the fuck up, I've got enough. I don't need any more, I'm done. Um, so I took a lot of fragments of history and then just Frank Millard it without being a monster if I try to. I didn't make it too fucking obnoxious. Um, So like, this happened, this happened, this happened somewhere else entirely in history, but that's good enough. That's weird. Let's go with that. So that's how I've tried to make the story work and tried to still link it into the idea of history. We also bemoaned ourselves in in the Prometheus episode previously, the last episode. By the way, the reason I mentioned that so heavily is because, as you will have heard, listeners, that was recorded before the lockdown. It's 
literally months ago since we recorded yeah. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were saying about how like the, the idea is to immediately go, which unfortunately almost all prequels do, is like, it's about their dad, because... <laughs> They all seem to be that. Um, and so frustrating what I've done for my first pitch of the season. That's it's about, about the dad. dad. <laughs> because why the fuck not? Start with what you know. But again, it, so I, I don't want people fucking tweeting in or emailing us. We, we do, will. obviously, in they general. Will. But if you say, um, I think you'll find the general history of the region wasn't that. It's like, yeah, I think you'll find this is a Zack Snyder film. Shut <laughs> your face. So my movie is called 300... War of Kings and is released in 2010 because hopefully still in the zeitgeist basically. I think it'll be it'll be there enough yeah. we can deal yeah. with it and I think this will be the also a bit of a death knell and they'll be like this is it we're done now we're done with these I'll get to some of the details so one point we're going to have a returning cast uh, Gorgo being Lena Headey um, we're going to have Leonidas Jared Butler what? in a prequel? yes because that's how prequels work. Except, weirdly enough, I'm going to use Jared Butler in a, in a sequel fashion. But we'll get to that later. New cast. Cleomenes. Cleomenes. Uh, being played by Oscar Isaac. Oh, here mm. we go. There are two reasons I've cast him. One, it's Oscar fucking Isaac. Get your head out of <laughs> your ass. He's a genius. <laughs> Thing number two. He a tiny boy. <laughs> he is. He is. I he's like me a five, six. Yeah. Like that. He's the size of an actual fucking Spartan, and I want that. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> Hippias is another character played by Christopher Judge. There are two sort of cultural points for Christopher Judge at this point. One, my boy Teal'c from Stargate SG One. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and my other boy Kratos from God of War. The Your other one. boy. Boy. <laughs> Um, and Christopher Judge is a fucking amazing actor and he's really he funny charming guy and he was wasted in Dark Knight Rises if you listen to our commentary just turns up and says something literally Monday like hello he's like guarding a fire or something I don't know anyway. he's also a very large man isn't he he's huge yeah um, he's very broad very tall very hench and cool and so I think and him, has an amazing voice he does he's very very deep basic voice he's a good actor I think him pairing up against Oscar Isaac would be just it's the rather than having a Rodrigo Santoro being digitally enhanced to be tall and placing his weird hands upon Jared Butler, we're just going to have a tall guy and a short guy. Problem solved. Playing the role of Darius the First, who does feature in uh, uh, Trey and Rise of Empire, he does. He turns around and then as he turns back again, takes an arrow. He's yeah. shot by a magical arrow from a hundred miles away. He gets shot by that fucking arrow. They take him all the way back to Persia, take off his armor, and the arrow's still in. I'm like. What, what is this? And, and they the replicate the arrow shot with Eva Green's character shooting uh, a flaming thing and exploding the boats like an hour so, later into the film. So stupid. At that point, by the way, uh, the Miscles could have just killed the other kid, Dar um, you know, Xerxes. But whatever. Moving <laughs> away. Um, I'm bringing in Rana Dagobati, um, who is an Indian actor. I don't think he's done a lot of Western shit at this point, so this would be like a first foray for him, I believe. Um, but he's, again, a really... And this is kind of the key point when casting for these movies. You have to be visually interesting. Mm. I don't mean just a hench guy. You have to have a good profile, a good face, someone who's like an actual presence. Um, yes, okay, body is an important thing, but he's also a tall guy. He's ripped to shit, and this 
just intense, awesome, cool beard and just a very strong piercing gaze. And it's that kind of stuff you sort of need because in the Frank Miller world, um, you do need the, the, the whites of the eyes and the big um, the bold silhouettes and that kind of stuff. So that's so, why I've gone for these. So, so where might listeners know Rana Dagobati from, Matthew? Is there, is there any particular like touchstones <laughs> of like any films? There are a few cultural tax funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. have been, yeah. I don't know, mentioned on the show before that is like... No, I don't think so. Something you'd, you'd, you'd reference for him, uh, something you've mentioned a hundred times before, anything like that? No, nothing? No. Well, he's, he's, he's known for his Telugu language stuff. And the thing is that Bollywood and Tollywood, there's actually a few different variations. And this is mostly in a particular area where Tamil, the Tamil language is, is mostly, mostly used. And he's known, he's been in a few things. We don't have to worry about it. He was in... Um, Bahubali and Bahubali 2. <laughs> You know, funny you mentioned that, Jack. Oh, really? he was indeed in Baho Bali. That's oh, right. true. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. He's in it as like uh, Bangalore Nakatel. There's, there's so many things. There's so many things he's Tell been me in. Other things. Yes. Yeah, he's the main bad guy in Baho Bali, and he's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've got to you stop pitching. Up. Well, the thing is, I, I was casting through ideas like who can we use for somebody in this role, etc., etc., etc. Frustrating. I thought he'd be really good, and there is lots of other actors I thought about as well from various films. I thought. No, I kind of want him. I want him to be in this film. That's the that's the frustration of it, and also it would fit his his. Because in the thing is, uh, much in the same way that obviously over here, you tend to have actors who play a certain type of character, and they'll play that character constantly. In the same way that, like for example, Denzel Washington, kinda he's a great actor. Let's not let's not debate that at all. He's a good actor. He's a good director, but he kind of just plays Denzel Washington, and I don't mean him as a person, but the kind of characters and mm -hmm. roles he gets. He doesn't have to do much out of that that wheelhouse which isn't a bad thing but he's not playing he's not playing an aging drag queen or something like that not yet at <laughs> least he's not playing something that's completely something new for him that's unfortunately a little bit stifling at times so but, but in, in, especially with indian cinema and things like that you also have people like you are always going to be a fucking hero you're the best character we have that kind of thing but you know we're going to go it sort of thing again not always but predominantly and again we have a similar thing here so they're the new principal cast, as it were. I'm also keeping Tom Holkenborg, or Junkie XL, if you want to be that way, because he's one of these he's one of these Hans Zimmer stable individuals, where he's worked with Zimmer and various other bits and pieces, and he has a very good sound. He most notably scored uh, Mad Max Fury Road, and that's a great soundtrack. He did the Batman stuff for the the Batman v Superman things, and that's interesting because Hans Zimmer did obviously the Dark Knight Rises stuff. And and obviously, my apologies, the Dark Knight trilogy stuff. And he's like, I'm not going to score Batman again. I'll do the Superman things. I'll do the other stuff. I'll write a Wonder Woman theme, but nobody really gets that around. Still don't get that. <laughs> but someone needs to come up with a new thing for Batman. And, and Hockenborg's like, I'll do it. And obviously, he does this thing. And he does it. I think he's a good job. Also, I should point out, I actually really like the music in 300 Rise of an Empire. Not because it's necessarily because it's good, but I think it shows off his abilities and it's got some distinct themes. I like it not necessarily because it's good. Well, the thing is, it fits the tone of what's going on, so you get a lot of repeated sort of sounds, sure. but most of the themes sure. are quite identifiable. Whereas the themes of 300 got him in a lot of fucking trouble because they had to uh, give credit to, was it Elliot Goldenthal, I want to say? Because... They, they, they said, oh, the king returns. He comes back, a victor. He killed a wolf with his hands and a knife. Me. It's like, this is, this is from fucking Titus. <laughs> is this hold music? It's like, oh no, it's a, it's a new track that we've done. No, you've, 
you fucked up, son. You didn't do a Ridley mm-hmm. Scott where he's like, make it Mars, but, you know, make it so I can't recognise that it's Mars by Holst. And Hans Zimmer literally just changes enough notes to make it a legally different thing. <laughs> Whereas they came out and said, no, that's literally the piece. There's the only thing you've changed slightly are the words being sung, but it's the same <laughs> piece. I assume you guys have heard these two tracks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and side by side, it's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. And so they end up just saying, fine, fine, we'll give credit to Golden Thorns. Like, okay, good. Did you do this any other point in the, in the, in the, uh, in the music? <laughs> so yes, we keep Hulk aboard because I want to keep him on because I think his themes could be quite good musically. Which brings us to the thing I've been kind of avoiding saying. Uh, yeah. So, director. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, we've had please, this thing on, in the past yeah. on sequelizers where you're like, it's like sometimes you think to yourself, ah, fuck it, I can't think of anybody. But you can usually think of somebody. And I circled this for a very, very long time and I sat down and had a almost sober conversation with myself and said, Matt, you do know you have to bring Zack Snyder back, right? And I said, That'd be fun. they would crucify me. I'm not bringing Zack Snyder back. We can think of somebody. George Miller, he'd be fine. It's like, Matt, you're making a 300 movie, aren't you? I said, yes. You're not changing enough to make it different. You're making a 300 movie. It has to feel like 300 because if it's not, it's going to be identifiable. So it has to fit that universe. Uh-huh. Why? You have to bring Zack Snyder back, don't you, Matt? Shit! So I wrote Zack Snyder down and said, guys, I'm sorry, you're going to hate my director. And I am now ready... You're not wrong. ...for your feedback. I, I'm going to go first here because, uh, because I, I feel like Jack has a, is building up to a rant. <laughs> what, what, what gave me that impression, Tim? I have no idea what. I'm going to say I completely agree. Fucking hell. Because... I made little dance! <laughs> uh, you know, he, he is not necessarily a director that, certainly now, I pick his work out. A director that, that I would choose to watch most of his, his modern movies. Although I think I actually have, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with something as stylized as 300, either you've got to... If you do something completely different, people will dislike it and say, that's not 300 anymore. And so you're Mm. either... You've got to have someone doing a Zack Snyder imitation, or you might as well get Zack Snyder. This is something where I think he did, you know, like, the faults of it are... You know, the, the original does have faults, but I think the direction, generally speaking is good is fine like i was saying earlier and i think as long as you keep him away from the script like yes that is gonna be vital yeah i i think he is not only a fine choice i think he is actually the right choice for this i should also point out a little bit in my defense first of all just as a bit of an appeasement here we do wipe out in the in the process legends of the guardians the owls of gahool <laughs> and sucker punch in one go so just just so we know Although, Alzheimer's Hall has some really interesting visual CGI. We're not going to talk about that, but that's, that's, that's fine. Hopefully this, this shoves Zack Snyder onto a different uh, path in history. I'd like to think this, this actually puts him on a thing where they say, mm, maybe he's just a one-note guy who can only do these films and he has to do something actually dramatically different in order to gain people's confidence back. Point being, though, if I want to say this, my defense of my argument is kind of what I was saying earlier about Michael Bay. Now... Michael Bay was replaced for Bumblebee by Travis Knight. Well, he wasn't replaced. He, you know, they did a new film. And Bumblebee is the best Transformers film. Full stop. And it's fucking great. And that's fine, because you could do that. You could do a reinvention, as it were, with 300 as well, kind of. A bit different, but you could do that. 
and again later in the season we will do big big shocking overhauls and things like that but i wanted just to go almost like a clean just do another one simple as that um but the only thing worse than Zack snyder i believe is imitation snyder people try and there have been plenty of them including morrow people trying to replicate that stop slow fast spoken. I, I mean i toyed with the ideas of george miller as i say i toyed with the ideas of guy Ritchie. not because i think they'd be better for it i think that partly because i think they are the names you jump to for the, just the nature of the visual presentation but at the end of the day this is kind of beneath miller he doesn't um he doesn't need this <laughs> shit and with like guy Ritchie, yeah he could i guess shrug but i don't think it would create the same thing it would be a you'd have the same thing but you'd have so many guy Ritchie isms put into this movie that it would be no longer a different three it'd be a different 300 experience and i guess you'd end up with king arthur again yeah i Ugh. fucking hate that movie I, yeah as much as i'm i don't want to say it's inevitable but i think it is kind of inevitable you have to have snyder but jack i'm ready for your backlash and alternatives I don't think there's a viable alternative, but I fucking hate Zack Snyder. That's and fine. It pains you, me. You can hate there, it. There are suggestions. Guy Ritchie was one of the one of the ideas that came into my head. Oh, okay. Um, there are a couple of other ones, but I just don't think they'll work. And I just basically was scouring like, who was making the kind of like historical epic films, like ever basically. <laughs> um, you've mentioned him a most couple of times. A couple of times already, and a man who is maybe the most hit and miss director, and ties back to episode one. Shit, you about to say? I think you about to say Ridley Scott. Holy God! He did Kingdom of Heaven. He did Gladiator. Like mm. Exodus, Gods and Kings. Little, don't <laughs> don't talk about that one. But like he, in theory, I guess he could do it. But it would be a Ridley Scott film, and Ridley Scott yeah. is so different to Zack Snyder in so many ways. I mean, mm. the whole Jesus imagery thing, I guess they have in common, thanks to yeah. Man of Steel. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think a 300 directed by Ridley Scott would work. It just it just wouldn't. It's just not, not, not a thing that would mm. coalesce into a functional film, I don't think. Guy Ritchie, again, I think he would have too much influence and have too much of the, as you said, Guy Ritchie-isms in there, and it just wouldn't work. Um, the third person i thought of and again i don't think this would work but it's the only other option i could think of is edwards wick oh okay um last samurai did, guy the last samurai guy legends of the fall guy uh unfortunately jack reacher guy mm. <laughs> love and other drugs guy funny enough in the same year is love and other yes. drugs of, of all things yes uh, he's he's proven himself to do big epic historical stuff before. Legend of the Fall is obviously more westerny kind of stuff. Last Samurai is obviously kind of kind of historical epic. Oh, it is yeah, drama yeah. kind of thingy. Even Blood Diamond has a lot of big epic stuff going on in yeah, it. So true, yeah. true. So Zwick was my uh, my other thought, but again, I don't know if he is right to do this kind of over the top hyper stylized stuff he tends to go more towards not the gritty and the realistic but more of the grounded and more of the kind of mm. sensible stuff oh and then he wrote the great wall featuring <laughs> matt, <laughs> matt damon and all this crazy shit and aliens um, and aliens yeah i think but they're aliens i haven't watched i think it. so it's it's <laughs> it's absolute batshit isn't it i think but yeah, Edward Zwick was my other option, but I just don't think I don't think he'd do it, and I don't think it would work. I don't think the 
dude bro hyper stylized snidery bullshit coalesces with anyone else like it does with Zack Snyder not saying that's a good thing I'm not saying I support it but I think we are between a hard hard, a rock and a hard place and just kind of Mm. stuck with Snyder's gonna Snyder and if we as you as you've both rightly said if you get somebody else to do Snyder it's probably gonna be even worse so yeah as much as I hate to admit defeat in my ongoing battle with Mr. Snyder I kind of yeah, have to yeah it's not really defeat yeah it's just a resolution I guess it's defeat it's defeat <laughs> I think the other thing is you. it's just from the like the politics of Hollywood I don't think you're going to find many experienced directors who are going to want to then make the prequel to a film by a guy who's only on his second film and is kind of you know at this point he's an up and you know he's a rising star but he's also like this is his second film like i think i think if you offer that to ridley scott he's going to turn his nose up at it and be like i am i am not the guy who you get to like follow up after this you know kind of young turk type figure yeah Yeah. i think that if you're going to get a replacement it's going to be someone who is even less experienced or you know perhaps Mm. maybe equally experienced and so it becomes it becomes very tricky so it's snyder just makes the most sense okay audience with that in mind because we've all we've all made our peace with it okay we understand but let's swallow that pill a boy restlessly sleeps in his bed as a storm rages outside in a flash of lightning we see the silhouette of a man punctured by arrows stumbling toward the bed a following flash of lightning reveals the figure to be Leonidas, stood at the foot of his son's bed screaming, WAKE BOY! Because, <laughs> obviously. The young king wakes up in a cold sweat, his mother, Queen Gorgo, running to him. Leonidas's son discusses missing his father and the fear of failing to live up to his legacy. His mother counsels him, saying he must put his weakness behind him, that he stems from a long line of great men and he too will achieve great things. Sitting at the end of the bed, Gorgo begins the story of Cleomenes her father, and the previous king of Sparta. 515 BC. 35 years before the Battle of Thermopylae. Athens is co-ruled by the Tyrannicides Harmodius and Aristogaton. Aristogaton? This is going to be a thing, listeners. This is going to be a lot of Greek pronunciations. (laughs) Bear with us. Yep. Gorgo explains they were not kings as such, but men of will and action who ruled over the weak Athenians. Through lavish parties, orgies, and feasts, we witness Harmodius and Eistergaten living large. So that's where we get our obligatory boobs and parting and booze and stuff, yeah. right, Matt? Go orgy. During a procession through the city, a young man... <laughs> Hold on, goat orgy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, did, I didn't fully process that. <laughs> oh, by the way, this, this we- bit here is actual history. So, yeah, it sounds like it's like, Go that's orgy. fucking Real stupid thing. and cheesy. And, yeah. and uh, literally the story of Ben-Hur, but carry on. <laughs> During a procession through the city, a young man is pushed in front of the royal carriage by the crowds keen to witness their rulers. Insulted by their horse rearing up, the Tyrannicides flog and kill the young man. A month or so later, a large overbearing figure steps quietly through the aftermath of a mighty celebration in the palace. Stood over the hungover kings. Classic. Good old, good old dude bro kings hanging out again. <laughs> he picks them up by the necks and holds them aloft, explaining they must suffer for the death of his brother. As their windpipes are slowly crushed, Gorgo explains slow this man. Oh, of course, yeah. Slowly crushed in slow motion, panning back and forth frequently <laughs> between their faces. 
Golgo explains this man is Hippias, and this action made him the new tyrant ruler of Athens. Hippias's rule starts reasonably, but his bloodlust in the wake of his brother's death has left him bitter and cruel. Soon he begins to impose high taxes and takes pleasure in killing travellers and guests with his bare hands. Feeling himself, <laughs> <laughs> feeling himself worthy, Hippias moves into the Parthenon atop the Acropolis, turning it from a place of worship to a fortified citadel from which he can rule, angering the people and the gods. The harmony in Athens quickly evaporates, and the Athenians revolt against Hippias. For fear of being overrun and suffering a similar fate to the Tyrannocedes, Hippias installs a body double to rule in his stead, while he travels to Persia. Upon arrival, Hippias falls at the feet of Darius the Great, requesting support. Darius has heard of Hippias's reign, and feels an ally across the Aegean would be beneficial. Gaining favour with the king, Darius agrees to help Hippias, sending him back with an armada of Persian forces. The army in question are visually terrifying and monstrous, almost fantastically powerful, as if possessed by evil spirits. Meanwhile, the noble Alcmenidae family from Athens resent the Persian presence on Greek soil and have set out to enlist the help of neighbouring states. They arrive in Sparta and are granted an audience with King Cleomenes, petitioning him to help. Cleomenes takes an immediate dislike to the Athenians, asking for help rather than rising up, going so far as to turn to his young daughter Gorgo and state that Hippias had the right idea. He changes his demeanour, however, when addressing the fact that Hippias called on, on Persia for support, and a man who cannot control his own people is no king. With this, he agrees to fight and mounts a force of several thousand Spartans to march on Athens. Cleomenes and his forces are met with a hero's welcome, but he chides them for not taking up what little arms they have and fighting for their homes. Celebrations are cut short when the Spartan forces are surrounded and overwhelmed by the Persian army. Sound familiar, listeners? <laughs> a crying Athenian nobleman confesses to the returning Alcamenidae that he told Hippias of their intentions. With that, Cleomenes orders his men to execute the Athenians for their treachery before turning to the advancing army. The battle rages on and many Spartans are killed due to the unfamiliarity of the battleground, but they fight to a stalemate as night draws in and the Persians withdraw to the foot of the Acropolis. Cleomenes orders his men to occupy the now vacant homes of the dead Athenian citizens and starts planning how to mount an assault on Hippias. High in the Parthenon, Hippias berates the Persian general for retreating, not accepting the excuses that the Spartans fight with too much ferocity and abandon. Hippias finally acknowledges the general has a point when he highlights that Darius will not send reinforcements and they must act smartly and conserve their numbers. Preparing for a siege, Hippias highlights that the Acropolis gives them the high ground. I have the high ground, Anakin! Uh, and is fully stopped. <laughs> meant nothing. Uh, and they, sh uh, they could survive for months while the Spartans will be forced to retreat. The Persian general gleefully agrees and relishes the prospect of picking off a weak aggressor as they march home. A month passes, and the Spartans have not been able to scale the mountain, causing frustration and dissent among the Spartan ranks. A brief mutiny is quelled when Cleomenes single-handedly kills his attackers and makes examples of their bodies to his own men. Gorgo's story is interrupted by the young king, who is shocked to learn the Spartan mutiny. The queen admits it can happen, and a good king must always be prepared for a move against his throne from both within and without. Continuing her story, Gorgo mentions that the Spartan numbers started to dwindle, but so too were the Persian army's forces. 
Athens had been ravaged, and time was running out to depose Hippias, for all the time spent warring in Athens left Sparta open to attack. Trying to figure out a way to mount an assault that would protect them from projectiles, but with shields in limited supply, Cleomenes is struck by an epiphany. More Greek words. <laughs> Adding the normal Greek words to all the yeah. crazy Greek words. E epiphany is just a man who comes up and punches them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Struck by his general epiphany. Mm. Looking out over the stillness of Athens, Hippias is unsettled by the quiet. Faintly, at the foot of the mountain, a mighty chorus of Spartan chants ring out. I assume that's like the... That bullshit, yeah. Lots of sweaty men. Yeah, exactly. From the other side of the citadel, a Persian soldier calls out and arrows are launched high into the air. So they're going to fight in the shade, right? I assume. <laughs> One would argue, yeah. Unseen, the soldier panics and repeats the order, sending another volley through the air. Hippias runs to the archer's position and looks over the wall to see gigantic circular mounds slowly advancing up the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> boobs. <Yep. laughs> Big old testicles. They've got, they've got more, more boobs and, and balls and stuff <laughs> because Zack Snyder. Damn right. Gorgo explained that her father was an extremely clever man and saw the decomposing dead as a weapon rather than simply a burden. Lashing the bodies together, the Spartans created human boulders which they were pushing, high and wide enough to provide shelter from the falling arrows for ten men. Furious, Hippias bursts into his storeroom and throws giant containers of wine down at the flesh boulders before reaching for a flaming arrow and setting them alight. With this, the Spartan attack increases in pace, and making it to the top, they break down the mighty doors and flood in. The hand-to-hand -hand fighting is ferocious and intense, with the Persian forces moving at inhuman speed, smoke trailing from their mouths and their eyes glowing. The lots of slow motion. <laughs> lots and Fuck lots of slow motion. This is, this is half the movie. <laughs> yeah. The Spartan discipline is too much for the defending army, and the almost supernatural berserker effect begins to quickly wear off. That's me explaining what the fuck is going on, or at least trying to. <laughs> Back in Sparta, the young king asks what happened to Hippias. Gorgo is a little cagey in her response, explaining that he died a traitor's death and the victorious Spartans returned home. Standing up to leave her son to sleep, the queen looks oddly distant, staring out the window. She softly reiterates that her father was a great man and he eventually died in combat, but all families have their secrets. As Gorgo and Leidas' son lays back and drifts off to sleep, he crosses off to the past. Cleomenes returns home to his wife and confesses that he let Hippias go. When asked why, in a sort of outraged voice, Cleomenes, actually tell you what, the wife is played by Eva Green. She'd be good at that. <laughs> there you go, um, perfect. When asked why, Cleomenes tells the story of his men turning on him and his own fears of betrayal. His wife questions whether he has let loose a powerful enemy, but Cleomenes states that he believes a democratic Athens would be a threat to Sparta, and might need to reinstate a grateful Hippias as a puppet tyrant. From the doorway, young Gorgo listens as on her as a mother states that this is an act of insanity, and if ever got out, their family would be ruined. Puppet tyrant is my favourite death metal band, by the way. <laughs> on the other side of the Aegean, Hippias falls prostrate across Darius and swears fealty for a chance at revenge. Darius, outraged that Sparta would dare attack Persian forces, Ruse that either he or his heirs will return to Greece and punish them for their impunity. Hippias rises and is awarded a fleet to return to Athens and reclaim what is his, while Darius turns and emphasises the unruly nature of Greeks to his young son, Xerxes, telling him to be mindful of Sparta. 
the little boy being bald and gold. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking like this for some reason. Hello. I can't do it, but you know. His voice is insane. Xerxes' voice is, is so distracting. <laughs> yeah. A bit like trying to do a Jeff Bridges impression. Very difficult. Yeah, like absolutely. You're, you're choking on a boiled sweet, but you're not. So kicking it off, I'm going to start from the end and work my way back because that's how I like to prequels. That's how I like to do things in prequels, of course. Please, please do. Funny enough, you've got that moment from because Darius basically says that in Rise of an Empire, but it's in like the first 15 minutes, <laughs> whereas you've got it as the final line, and it makes yeah. way more sense to have that at the end. So I, I appreciate that this feels thank you a lot more like a prequel and less like the prequel sequel hybrid. Even with you having the you know the narrative structure of Gorgo telling her son about it all and that kind of thing. Sure. That's a common enough narrative structure that I don't feel like this feels like a sequel. Whereas Rise of an Empire tries to do as we said prequel parallel and sequel all in the span of like 98 minutes or whatever it is. And it fails. And I think you've done well in that you have kind of balanced out that to be like, this is actually a prequel. This sets up, you know, where Xerxes is going, where the Spartans are left at the end of this, then sets up where they're going to go in the future. But it also leaves enough of a gap that it's not the classic, like, it's not Rogue One where it picks up like a one Literally minute after the end yeah. of like, yeah, of course. It, it, you know, it p- picks up with, I don't know, Gorgo wandering over to Leonidas and being like, so... How's the Persians? And he's like, oh, fucking Persians. Tell me, tell me. Oh, hell. I'll give them a piece of my mind and then you kick off. The they better not yeah. send a messenger my way. <laughs> hey, hey, you, have you finished digging that hole yet? Oh, my God. Or the infinite pit. Um, if, th- if this was like um, a more heavy handed, like classic prequel, we have to just refer to the original and be like, yeah, there'd be pit digging. There'd be like... <laughs> Oh, there are three things that really annoy me in this world. It's like the Persians, the Athenians, and messengers. <laughs> what? Um, don't they do that in Rise of 300 where he looks at the pit and goes, oh, it's like, oh, glad it's a good day. I'm not getting kicked in there or some stupid yes, shit. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> it's interesting because if we think about it, I mean, I will give, obviously, Rise of an Empire a lot of flack because it's not good. But it's it's all being told by Gorgo on the boat as they're sailing to the final battle at Ex Machina style. And you're like, oh, okay. Deus Ex Machina rather than the robot film. Um, <laughs> I wish it had more to do with the robot film. <laughs> but at the same time... Turns out David Wenham is an android the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that could it, work. It was all um, in Westworld. <laughs> Dude, that... That's the, the, the theory, um, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Bramley, came up with well, a lot of people circulating it. It was almost confirmed by Westworld, almost. The idea that Game of Thrones, the final seasons, are taking place in Westworld. That's why they're so wacky and out of place. And uh, one of the characters just rocks up and is like, all right, I'm, I'm just playing this game. I'm just going around everywhere, doing weird shit. It's like, what the fuck? Are you, who are you? Anyway, <laughs> but I was going to say 300 is also told in the exact same way with David Wenham telling the story of Leonidas to the people as they go. It's the same thing where it's a uh, framing device after the events flashback to including the events of him as a kid so i'm trying well, i try to effectively emulate that in a way that would be arguably pleasing in a three second jared butler cameo rather than just using archive footage as they did in yeah in that film and cgi yes they Ugh. did a really bad not to spin back to the how bad the original prequel is but Good lord, the CGI of his face during the like fighting wrestling scene mm. thing is fucking awful. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
So much so I wasn't sure if it was him, and then it panned back, and I was like, I think so? Oh my god. But yeah. Mm. So you've got the, the ending. What's, what's the next bit you're working towards? Um, I also really like we get a change of scenery. We get some some city combat, which which sure. I, I'm i very much looking forward to. Again, to, to tie into God of War, which is often my reference for, <laughs> for Greek mythology. Um, I can't remember. I think it's Ghost of Sparta, which is the PSP one that nobody ever played, which is actually sure. really good. Um, you find out it's it's the prequel one. It's Kratos becoming Kratos. He he gets mm. the ashes of his family burnt into his skin and the red scar and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you have this big epic like battle through the streets of Athens, like heading up the mountain basically. And yeah. I could just picture that looking absolutely amazing, like this the siege and the battle and just like yeah, it looking amazing. Yeah. Like, if you gave it- Snyder the budget. Well, well, even the sucker punt budget, but literally the the rise of three hundred, sorry, rise of an empire budget, and said, make a city battle with this. Mm. I think he'd do some interesting stuff. Maybe not necessarily good stuff, but interesting stuff. That's why I just said they fight yeah. ferociously. <laughs> I don't want to go into the the, the nuance of it because there's no point in describing a music video. But um, I think it would be. We mentioned earlier about so- the nature soldier of him. sixteen swipes at Persian twelve <laughs> and stabs totally. him in the leg. Persian twelve grits his teeth and swipes back at soldier six. Fuck down, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. It's it. it... As I said earlier about the him, uh, well, not him. I don't give him credit for it, but the the team working on that film, creating the device of the dolly with multiple cameras going, well, high speed cameras going fast, basically with different focal points. I imagine they could have done something equally similar. Still early enough in the career that you wouldn't have just said, "Ah, fucking CGI, everything be fine." You know that kind of inventive filmmaking that you have to do on a lower budget. I think that'd be really, really interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I really like what you've done here. I think. It's it's sensible, kind of taking it back a generation, mm. because it's the kind of thing that that you know rulers would do. Then you know it's you know ah oh, pass on the less lessons of the past, and you know your grandfather. You never knew your grandfather. He was a great man, and I like <laughs> that they you put some ambiguity in at the end there as well. And there's a lot there's a lot that as you were, as we were reading through it. It, it felt very 300 of like oh they they uh the the spartan forces turn up and uh but they find out someone's betrayed them and so we get yeah cleomenes yeah. kills him and uh take out the treacherous athenians um and constantly slacking everyone off for being weak even though it's like well I don't really it's like don't cry boy it's weak it's like well that's a shitty fucking message but it's kind <laughs> of what these people not just narrative people of sparta but the people of sparta that we've established in these films how they would talk Yes, yeah, it's exactly, and and it's the opportunity for the whole kicking scenes uh, of uh, of that yeah. type, <laughs> as well as the you know the amazing battle scenes. You you need you need him to be like, look, this is not this is a bad kind of man, a weak man who deals in thoughts and writing in his treachery. We are strong men who deal only in shields and spears. Hole kicking and meat. Yes. Which sounds like a porno. <laughs> Hole kicking my meat. Yeah, that's fair. I think the, the thing is, well, you mentioned about the the um, the nature of the ambiguity. I put that in there. I tried to put a lot of very apparent seeds in there. I'm trying to basically do something here. I'm trying to rewrite history. I'm trying to do like a, a um, interseason episode about alternate film history. <laughs> where I'm trying to unwrite the DCEU. Um, when 
somewhat Man of Steel, but more importantly, Batman v Superman. That one of the many defenses that Snyder came out with was, oh, I guess people don't want like um, a critical analysis or breakdown of their heroes. I don't think they're ready for that kind of shit. And blah, 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 blah. Like with Watchmen, for example. Fuck I was like, you, well, Zach if you take one of the characters that you worked on very famously, like Leonidas, for example, and you take the lineage and all that shit and say, well, let's actually break this down. Were they good people? Was he a good man? Because the history is that that Gorgo's dad, the real king Cleomenes, was actually apparently crazy and shit. Uh, I should also point out, I think Gorgo and Leonidas were maybe siblings. I'm not entirely sure, so I didn't include that in the fucking story. Um, <laughs> Leonidas got a history of that kind of stuff, so that'd be fine. But at the same time, if that gets it out of his system, because the thing is, awesome, so all a director needs is to get it out of the system, and then they're <laughs> done with it. And then maybe he's not going to like try and give, give him Batman v Superman and just go like, well, what's the whole breakdown? Too much credit there. I think his entire career is him trying to get out of his credit, <laughs> get out of his system. Sorry. I, yeah, that, that's probably fair. No, it's it's more the idea. That I think I, I wanted something a bit more complicated. I want and not not to make the entire film about it, not to make it a huge twist, really, just to make a little bit of things for people watching a reward as such just not not for historians historians will just laugh at themselves saying think this is fucking terrible i mean they thought that about 300 as well because there are moments in 300 where it's like surprisingly historically accurate and then just goes fuck it let's just do this just do what looks cool or what this we is more visually cool pleasing what sounds yeah. cool this is what yeah exactly yeah like the sisyphus mindsets of pushing up a, a, a boulder up a hill end endlessly is just straight out of greek mythology but at the same time I don't think it's ever happened in actual history, like the tree of the dead sort of thing. And it's also the idea yeah. that, you know, that's the most terrifying thing the Persians did in the um, in, in 300. It's like, what a disgusting thing. Boy, what have you seen? Oh, they came out of the darkness like, like black at night and yada, yada, yada. Creates a ghost story about these people. And then in the sequel, you, or the prequel, I should say, you're like, yeah, this guy's like father-in-law was also a bit of a shit though i don't think he gave a crap about anybody that like in the the dead people's homes like that's an open hole I, i'm i'm literally have no love for the athenians or their city they're dead fuck them i'll use their houses i don't care they're not there their bodies are a waste and they're causing disease and rot but don't worry i'll fucking lash them together and roll them up a hill just the the, the, the sort of very mercenary mindset of someone who doesn't care and just you know executing his own men and shit like that i think it's it's something the film needs just on a level to give it just actual something that is a bit more than a, a fantasy sequence yeah uh corpse boulder is my favorite heavy metal heavy metal band no, yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but yeah i think i think the only <laughs> the only problem with the prospect of like having uh a spartan general who may not actually you know be a heroic figure um and obviously you can make arguments about whether Leonidas is a heroic figure, but broadly speaking, he doesn't do anything sure. too terrible. I think you unfortunately will get people who anyway with this film will be like, yeah, he's they will very much like Thanos was right, him. Oh, yeah, no, entirely. Oh, entirely. You're right. And then we've already got the incel bra mindset of like, yeah, kick them, they're brown. It's like, the fuck is wrong with you? I think because it's a bitter infighting with the two Greek factions, but at the end of the day, actors-wise, you've got a very different uh, uh, ethnicity casting and that sort of sense of people of colour and things like that. But um, you're right, the way public perception, it will. Be, I don't want this person to be seen as a heroic character, but most definitely it'd be like, this is the hero, look at him, he's doing cool stuff. But yeah. That's fair. But yeah, no, I think, I think it, generally speaking, like it completely works. It's a much just like for how stupid it is like rise of an empire there's it 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 feels really kind of stilted 
in that like oh they have this battle but then that's not really the big battle but then okay now we're gonna have this oh and the fact that it's all at sea like makes it so much more confused and like it's hard to get a good idea of like there's there's no real sense of geography because it's at sea it's constantly changing um which means that as an action scene until there's suddenly cliffs ah yeah yeah uh whereas this you will have you know i think like jack says like the fact that it's inside a city makes for a different thing it makes for a di- makes it means the film can have a different look even if you're replicating the same kind of stylistic you know uh lighting and color washes of the of the first film and it means you can have that solid sense of you know okay here's very like we had we have a first battle and now the enemy is here and we're at the bottom and we can't get up yeah and again like much like battle of the map it's like okay what's gonna problem big old big old attacking force cool but they have to squeeze through this very narrow gap Okay, problem solved. Then we just yeah. Pop, what's our job? We stay in the gap and we don't let them come past. <laughs> Which they've had to do. I mean, that's the nature of Miller's comic. It's actually a really boring battle because it took place over a multiple period of time and things like that. And they've got the like the the, the wall of corpses they push down, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, because ultimately, just as as Tim said, they're a, they're a cork, literally just a cork in a wall. Mm. That's it. Um, that's quite boring. Hence why they have to keep breaking rank every now and again and doing bold extra things. And it's the same thing here. I think it's a bit more visually interesting, but also because of the much like 300 with the, with the, the, the framing as it were, the narrative being told in, in, um, in flashback almost, um, you do get the idea that you can just move ahead like months and it's like, you know, there's a mutiny. Why? Because they've been sitting there for months and nothing's happened and they haven't won. They'd be pissed off. You know, made fools of that kind of thing, and with Rise of the Empire, Empire, you don't get that as much because it's, as Tim's point out, it's so discordant, so disjointed, and so hard to follow, and all very samey. So you do get like the whole, oh, they're in this tiny little fucking gorge, and they jump in, and the fog will help us. Does the fog happen a lot? We control the fog, sort of somehow magically. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's how history has gone down. The British Isles have been saved in inverted commas. No end of times because of the fucking sea around this place being a <laughs> bastard i'm not saying i've sailed it like a man in a boat but i have been on the sea the north sea and the and the channel and that's like and it's a shitty choppy nightmare it's the yeah. worst sea i've ever fucking been on in my fucking life it isn't it is a, and it's no wonder like the spanish armada came over and sank itself because of course it did because our island is just in a weird position basically and the sea is very very unusual there. so the aegean is one of those equal points where there's tons of historical battles back and forth between um inverted commas persia whatever you want to call you know contemporary iraq around turkey etc and you know greece even northern greece like macedonia and stuff like that they're pissing all over each other for fucking generations again if you talk about like the events after 300 like a generation after spartan athens were having a big war again if i remember correctly <laughs> it's they're always like the, the, we couldn't kill hippias satisfactorily at the end of the film because hippias didn't die then <laughs> I was like, oh, hence why you do that. And I, I worry that might be a little bit unsatisfactory, but I think the nature of the ambiguity and just leading into the fact that we're going into 300 might be enough for people to go, oh, cool. Yeah, the, the satisfying conclusion is 300, right? That's the, that's what you're building to. And that's the nature with prequels as well. You're kind of got the, you can build to something in a prequel and have it leave this ambiguous ending that is then answered in the following film. And as long as you don't do a Pirates of the Caribbean and make half a movie and then just be like, <laughs> Kraken, see you later, bye. Good enough. Then, yeah. And I th- think when you're st- as stylized as Zack Snyder, it's, you know, like... Lest we forget, the first 300, they don't kill Xerxes and they also fail to hold the pass. Like, they all die yep, to true. a man. Yep. Uh, you know, and 
you know, all they do is they 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 what is it scratch you know Xerxes to show that he's not a god and he's, he bleeds yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then they slow them down and uh, and their sacrifice is what means that the Spartans then come back with an army I think I think the fact that you have the Spartan forces still taking reconquering the Acropolis you know and kicking out the enemy I don't think that the the death it's enough of a conclusion yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the death of Hippias is necessary and like you say a it's not historically accurate b it allows you to have that you know a little bit of a of a uh, epilogue of kind of like yeah sure. and uh Cleomenes you know was thinking as a king not just as a warrior yeah I, I think the uh, Timothy has nailed a very interesting point about 300 for all the yeah bro we're getting the fucking spears and spikes and swords oh god yeah pecs and guts all that wank (laughs) I mean they they basically they don't lose because what's the objective what's the end game what's the goal the goal is to buy time and if necessary make an example to rally people cool that's actually quite surprisingly unique for a story Especially in fucking two thousand six, which isn't literally it's it's the martyrdom stories. It's quite interesting as opposed to and you know what happened at the end? Leonidas got up and you thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead, and he bit off his fucking face. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's the kind of childish ending. He pulled out a rocket launcher and he shot it up to his ass. Yeah, and it was shaped like my dick. Well, not my dick, but some big ass dick. And then an eagle flew out and it landed on my head and we all set on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Spider-Man arrived on the American flag. Don't know why, yeah. but he did. And then I made out with Megan Fox. She gave me a hand <laughs> off. <laughs> all right, Michael Bay, calm down. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's it's very difficult to make a film. I mean, to be fair, as I, said, I can't say stress this enough. I hope this isn't a cop out where I've just said, "Well, it's a three hundred film. What are you gonna do?" Eh, it's a three hundred film. What are you gonna do? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, some of the later ones we got late in the series. Fuck me, we're gonna change things all over the place because you have to. You with a prequel, what else can you do? Three hundred is such a. I won't even say unique. I don't think. I think I'll just say it's very distinct. It's just <clears> a distinct release that to do anything different would be not 300, which is fine if you want to go in that direction. Like maybe I could have. Maybe I could have read a 2020 release by Denny Villeneuve and it'd be fucking amazing. Who knows? But again, the, the, the film itself isn't big enough to warrant sometimes the, the kind of exploration you'd need to do. And also, should we just point out very quickly, the, the, the Frank Miller comic that it's based on, uh, allegedly, I want to say allegedly inverted comics, because I don't necessarily believe it is. I think it's a bit the retrospective. The comic came out after the film exactly read, so it's not based on anything because yeah because mm, most yeah. sources say it's based on the miniseries xerxes the fall of the house of darius and the rise of alexander i'm like as a massive alexander fan fuck you <laughs> i i think i must be like oh he has some notes somewhere in there like what, what do you got working on this like, oh we can make we can make that into a I, I don't know fair enough whatever in the way that you know whatever the fuck his batman thing be- was before it came holy terror i don't know what's called well, Batman it was, racist it, or something. It was it was called Holy, Holy Terror Batman because it was the like oh because the Holy, Holy Terror Batman because like Holy Terror oh, really yeah, uh, oh fucking and then oh. and then oh, someone at DC made the very sensible suggestion of like no you can't fucking do that with Batman uh, and so it just became Holy Terror. See, somebody realizes you can't do certain things with certain characters. Turns out, yeah, not Frank anyway. Miller. Yeah, but at the same time. Yeah, trying to create something that's going to feel like a, a, a 300 film, but also have a 
bit of satisfactory conclusion and also end it. End it. Because this is the thing, we usually come to the end of these films and say, right, so would you, uh, would you want this to continue, do you think? It's like, uh, yeah, I'm 300. <laughs> Any more of them? No. No. What about an American Revolutionary War or the Alamo? No. What about some <laughs> no. China thing in inverted commas? No, I will say that. Not that, that. I'm good, thank you. We're done here. We, done, we did the story. We're good. Right, well, we can go now. <laughs> nice. Well, Matt, congratulations on fixing a big old pile of poop in Thanks. the eyes of an empire. I think the trick was Kings, no boats. Speaking of which, sorry. Yeah, no boats, exactly. Yeah, Fewer boats solves many problems. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? There's something we didn't really touch on. I actually really like your title as well. War of Kings is, is a oh. way cooler title. It feels like a fantasy novel, which I appreciate. Thank you. And it, and it actually makes sense. There are <laughs> kings and they have a I, war. I, I, and as Matt correctly said at the beginning of the episode, rise of what empire? Yeah. Which empire? Where? Who are you talking about? Shut mm. up. The War of <laughs> Kings actually makes sense. So, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll probably, the studio will probably push saying, would it be Rise of Kings? It's like, nope, they're already kings. <laughs> Dawn of the Kings. Dawn of the Rise of the Planet of the Kings. Oh, God, yeah. They might say yeah. Dawn of Kings. Dawn of Kings. Well, on that note, that wraps up the second episode of Prequelizers. Mm. If you'd like to discuss 300 and or its prequel slash sequel, Rise of an Empire, you can contact us on all the social medias. We are Sequelizers on pretty much everything. Twitter, Instagram, Facebooks. Not Quibi, even though that is a thing now. <laughs> I'll have you know. God, we you are have, literally their sponsor, man. We don't have a TikTok yet, but maybe we will do. Who knows? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, we don't. There you go. That's the one that's down with the kids. We do need a TikTok. Is it, though? I think the lockdown killed it. Probably. Yeah, that's when all the mums got on the TikTok and were yeah. all. Yeah. If you want to send us an email, with sequelizers at gmail.com is the place to go. If you'd like to support us financially, we'd very much appreciate it. The reason this season is as long as it is and it exists is because of our wonderful support from our patrons over on patreon.com slash sequelizers, especially our executive producers, Mr. Mike Salvia. Thank you very much. Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark. Thank you very much again. Golf tapping. And of course, Stuart Main as well. Thank you very much. They make this show possible. We really appreciate your generous and continued support. And hopefully you guys are going to be enjoying prequelizers because this is going to be a whole season of this stuff. We will get back to sequelizers. Don't worry. This isn't oh, yeah. the, the, the show forever. We will get back to fixing bad sequels at some point. We promise. But uh, yeah, we've got a lot more planned. Some big surprises and little tease things and interesting things coming up in this season that I'm very excited for. Some of them I'm writing, which I'm really excited about. And it's, it's, it's more of the like, oh, I get to write that. That's one of my things. I love that thing. And there's some other... Is that next to the next episode? That like might be week? the next episode. That's one of them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, okay. And one of the other ones we talked about in an interseason episode, in a way. Mm. So uh, clues, there's clues, a little clues. tease for you. clues for more prequels being sewn. I mean, it's not. There were so many fucking points yeah. made over in the season. <laughs> you could literally end up with like 900 films and go, hmm, it's one of these. <laughs> oh, there's only so many prequels to films. That's actually very place. true. That's a good Prequels point. narrows good it down pretty, pretty quickly. That's true. I'll give you that. Yeah, if you want to have a guess, if you want to have a chat with us about particular prequels or anything i am jlw chambers on all your social medias and all that good stuff you can contact me on there on twitter on instagram 
not on TikTok. I think I have a TikTok, but I've never posted anything. But yeah, you can you can follow me on there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Matt, how how can they follow you on TikTok and various other social medias? Uh, if you go to Vine, uh, you can nothing. Oh, it's dead, dead. I, dead. I was great on Vine. I love Vine. It was great. Vine okay, is so, TikTok, but not. It's like it's yeah, already been no, done. Not, TikTok. Where I didn't. You, I, mm. you can follow me all the places on Stogs. S T O G H Z. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk to see the film reviews that I'm not writing at the minute because of lockdown. Um, you could go to cheesemint.com and see the things we're making, including our multi-award-winning web series, which stars you guys and many other people. Yeah. Sorry, I, I'm talking to Jack and Tim, you guys, not you guys, the audience, sorry. It stars the listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to festivals again this year, which is great, because we didn't know what was going to happen with festivals this year, with the, the whole, you know, pandemic. But uh, yeah, so we've got various bits and pieces, all sorts of wonderful things. Please feel free to check it all out. Tim, where you at? I'm nice and straightforward. Trivia underscore lad on Twitter uh, is where I do most of my business, uh, by which I mean I poop there. Um, that was like the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, you should check out our Discord, uh, which we have links to uh, on our website and Facebook and everything like that, where we chat and we've got a lovely little community there chatting about the show, films in general, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff wrestling, video games, comics, music, and more. They're going to be talking about Zack Snyder and nothing else for a while. They are, they are. You're going to come up with... You're going to get yeah. murdered. So, yeah, people in the come Discord, at me, friends. I'm sure if you have a better suggestion for director than the rest of us, then let you're us wrong. know. Um, if you do want the links to all that stuff without searching around and stuff, you can just go to sequelizers.com. All the yep. links for all the social medias, all the different platforms, the Patreon, the Discord, and, of course, our online store full of wonderful, wonderful merch, including the posters from the previous season, including the lovely t-shirts, all that good stuff you can pick up on sequelizers.com as well. So go and check that out for a one-stop shop for all your sequelizers stuff, basically. With that out of the way, thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next week. Hey, uh, prequelizers, what is your profession? That's definitely fucking Nixon. <laughs> 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 <laughs>